everyone, welcome to episode 62 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me is Jamesy and Jamesy, how's it going with you this month mate? I'm good, very good indeed Martin, yeah, yeah, trying to keep busy coming out the end of the pandemic here in Ireland now where we're slowly getting back to normal, a lot of businesses have opened up and a lot of things have slowly kind of getting back to some kind of normality in the country thankfully this week, uh, we, we feel like we've done a good job over here of keeping the numbers down in terms of new cases of COVID-19 and that the deaths have kind of dwindled down to single figures every day at this stage, which is great news. So fingers crossed we might have a better summer ahead after after a kind of a miserable enough spring, we'll call it. Hopefully we'll have a better summer ahead. But I suppose the fear is that we might get a spike in numbers and we're kind of watching that very closely as well, you know. Yeah, like I've said before, it certainly seems like you're handling it a lot better than we are uh, over in the UK. And uh also joining me is uh, Richard Benson, a.k.a. Benno, a.k.a. the Saliva Gargling Virgin. <laughs> I was wow. hoping you'd say it, Martin. Fair play to you. <laughs> the, the people with no context are going to be very amused now. Is there a beef going on between me and Martin now? This, this is what I was called by a, uh, an alt-right middle-aged man on Facebook. That's the, that's the kind of week it's been. I've taken to Facebook to argue with... Uh, with middle-class mums and dads. It hasn't gone well, that's what <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to figure out who's going to be in my bubble uh, after the press conference we had today. Uh, yeah, so yeah, just uh, hanging in there, I suppose, is the, uh, the way to put it. Uh, no, I, I don't know why you do it to yourself, Ben. I'm getting in arguments oh. on Facebook. It's a full Worst place. Worst place on earth, that's it. You're not, you're not convincing anyone either. You're just shouting into the ether. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of terrible takes on Facebook and a lot of terrible people that I found out. But yeah, obviously, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll just stay on my Twitter Twitter echo chamber from uh, here on out. I think. Yeah, it's the best place I think. And, uh, and also joining us this week, it's uh, the man of the hour. Um, I mean, an episode on post wrestling wouldn't be complete without uh, Andrew Thompson. It seems to be a uh, Andrew Thompson week here on Post Wrestling. So, Andrew, <laughs> thanks for joining us. You're all over Post Wrestling this week. I appreciate y'all having me on. I was really excited uh, when, when Martin initially, when you initially asked me to come on. I, I listen to y'all podcasts all the time, man. I always love the jokes and just the, the banter you guys always have. It always seems like a good time, so I'm, I'm excited to join in. No, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, you've had a couple of things on this week, haven't you? You had um, a cracking interview this week, and then you're also joining uh, Way on uh, Review of SmackDown this Friday. Yeah, man. Like I, I honestly didn't even notice until John told me earlier this week, and then I looked at it, and I was like, I, I guess I am going to be on a couple of shows on post. So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to doing everything, especially doing this podcast. So you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I mean, uh, we'd be remiss um, without having you on without saying what an incredible episode of uh, Review War last week Mm. with you and Nate Milton joining John and Way. I think that was a conversation that was definitely needed. Yeah, definitely. I I, I definitely do think a lot of people needed to 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 hear that, especially people of like just different ethnicities and different races. Like it's it's a lot going on right now, man. And like uh, you know, I I, just like you know since. I kind of have like the, the time right now. Like I, I did kind of want to like address it like a week later, seeing as how things have sort of side, like it, 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 it tends to seem like when, when these type of things happen, as far as police, you know, ki- killing black people and like just for no, no reason at all. Like when these situations happen and it gets recorded, like it, there's an outrage and there's a, you know, there's a, like it sparks something within people, to, to, to call these things out and then like a week later it kind of fades out and but with this thing what, what happened with George Floyd and I, I feel like this is something that's not going to go away and 
I, I don't think that this is the, the I, I think this is something that might change everything going forward as far as how African Americans are treated in in the US specifically. And like I, I've even seen like today where I'm at um the, the local um local government where I'm at like especially specifically in uh DC, they started they they passed a bill where I, I think um re- re- restrictions uh were, were made and, and bans were made as far as like how police um treat protesters and like kneel kneeling on um on, on, on people's necks when they, you know, you know, when you're arresting them and, and things of the sort, like everything, all that is banned. And like they, uh, the, the local, the local police officers here, they can't buy military weapons or can't receive military weapons. And like, it, it really is starting to seem like the, like these protests and everything is starting to make a change. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of people for stepping out there. And, and, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm really like, that really shocked me to see is like, so seeing so many so so many white people out there protesting and and, and speaking out against these things because it, it seems like oh just past this over the years like as these things have happened like black people we've tried to get these things done alone but like seeing so many young white men and women speak out because when you look at it their parents their grandparents are the ones that send these positions of power and it, it's crazy to me to see them out there protesting and and, and essentially trying to break down a, a system that's meant for them to, to succeed. So that's like, it, it, it's just really showing like this new generation of people are like really throwing out that old ideology and that old way of thinking and like trying to make everything equal for the most part. So, you know, I hope people continue to keep protesting and they keep signing these petitions and they keep, you know, speaking out and keep using their voice and keep using their platform because the only way things will get better is if, you know, we keep, you know, pushing that old ideology out. And of course, you you occasionally gonna have your few dumb asses out there, but then you know that's just what it is. You can't you can't you can't change everybody, but you know, I'm 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 really I really think that things are, are going to change going forward, and you know, ho- hopefully it continues that way because this shit been going on too long, and it need to stop, and it's annoying and it's frustrating as hell. Like so, you know, I'm 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 proud to see you know so like so many people just showing love and you know it, it means a lot and I'm pretty sure I can speak for a lot of black people when we you know when we say that we think uh, things are about to change. Yeah, I think it just like you said there. I think it was a massive wake up call um, for a lot of people. I mean, even including me, I've, I've, I think I've learned over these past couple of weeks that it's it's not enough to not be racist. You know, we have to uh, right. stopping this thing. You know, by talking, <laughs> you know, listening, educating ourselves, and just. So letting the people in power know that, you know, we can't and won't tolerate this anymore. And, I mean, from a UK perspective, obviously, you know, um, we can never quite fully understand this, you know, being white British, but, you know, trying to educate ourselves in, in terms of what's going on. And, that. and you see a lot of folks sort of looking at America and saying, oh, well, it's not as bad in the UK, um, but... It really isn't just America, is it? Racism's everywhere. You look at this stuff that's happened mm-hmm. in my lifetime. I mean, the stop and search tactics they have, the Windrush scandal and the threat of deportation they have there, the murder of Stephen Lawrence, Grenfell Tower and the handling of that, the Cherry Gross shooting and the start of the Brixton riots in the 80s. I mean, I was listening to a, a brilliant podcast by a Radio 1 Extra DJ, Shawnee B and DJ Ace, discussing everything that's happened this past week from the perspective of two black British men and they had callers in and virtually every call was some somebody describing a time in their lives when they'd experienced racism in the UK and and mm. it, I mean a lot of people seem to be seem to be saying like oh well it's not as bad in America but it's it's as bad all over the world isn't it 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. And the, the one thing I did want to point out, like I'm, I'm seeing like so many different countries and so many different parts of the world like protesting and like that. That is like crazy to me. Like it, I saw a video the other day of a of, of protest in London. They were protesting in Australia and, and so many other places around the world. Like it's it, it, that that stuff is like literally crazy to me, like just seeing that and crazy in a good way. I mean, it's it's just like seeing so much support from just various parts from around the world and everybody coming together collectively for this one this one you know cause to, to just like and, and it just create like it, it baffles me a little bit like how the police force have sort of reacted to to all of this and it's like i i even seen a press conference that, that one of them did yesterday and he was like he, he wanted them to stop being you know put in a bad limelight and he, he wanted them to stop being treated unfairly i'm like that sounds oddly familiar coming from a cop right now, like <laughs> being, 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 being treated unfairly. You know, you tired, you tired of being put in a bad line. Like, hmm, I wonder who else has experienced that. But it's like, like it, instead of them just saying, you know what, how about we still, we, you, y'all can easily stop killing black people, right? You get, just stop doing it. But instead of they like, no, we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep doing what we do and, you know, combating y'all. And I'm like asking like you people, they act like we asking for like the world, like, just trying to tell you we tired of being killed in the street by police officers. That's like, that's it. And, and the mm-hmm. thing is like, it, it makes you go back and, and think about how many times throughout history, right? Like, cause now we got the era of social media, like people record everything. You get everything on camera. That's how these things get called out. Like I'll now make you think like just throughout history, how many times has like one of the uh, 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 officer killed, killed, killed a black man or killed a black woman. And, you know, nothing was ever made of it or it was turned into a completely situation and the, and, the, and the death was just pushed to the wayside because there was nobody to see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, even with um the, the situation that happened in February with Amar Arbery, like, that that happened in, yeah, that happened in February and, like, we're just now seeing that footage, like, maybe two weeks ago. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and these things, like, it, it's, like, really, it like, and, and I mentioned this on the the, the Rwanda Wall show. Like, it, it's weird that I can I can watch these videos and like not stop or pause or like flinch or like I I just can watch these things like straight through like with no question. Like I remember I saw it, it was one yesterday and that it was um I think it was the Alt, the Alton Sterling video and and I I I was it was a petition underneath and I retweeted the petition and I, I scrolled up to look up at what, where the tweet was coming from and it was the actual video and I remember seeing this video a while back and like I, I was just watching this thing man and I'm like like watching straight through and I, I I knew that I'm numb to seeing this like and it's like it, I, I shouldn't feel like that like nobody should feel like that like you shouldn't be able to watch somebody get killed anybody watch somebody get killed and like feel nothing you know what I'm saying like that and not, and not feel nothing in a sense like you don't feel compassion it's like you just so used to seeing it and you like you see these videos so often, it's like, you know, and then you can just continue on throughout your day. Like it, it's it, it's like it's, it's messed up, man. And it's like it, it does mess with your like your, your psyche a little bit. Just just knowing that 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 could be you. That could be your family member. That could be, you know, anybody, anybody that, you know, that can run into a situation like that. And like, you know, again, again, shit, shit need to change, man. Like it's. It's, it's crazy, but, you know, I, I, I do feel like, you know, things are, you know, the, the uh, impact is being made. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, regarding, specifically regarding George Floyd, hopefully the right thing is done as far as these four guys being put in jail. Because, like, 
I like I, I'm trying to tell people. I was talking to a couple of friends the other day. I'm like, man, if they don't put these dudes in jail and these cops think that it's bad, or some people out here think it's bad now as far as the protests, and I don't think that's even bad. But like, if they think that's bad. Let these four dudes get off. They ain't saying nothing. Like people are going to go insane. So they need to do the right thing. And it's obvious. I don't even know why this is even like some long drawn out thing like you have clear evidence this should be a what they call it a slam dunk case and they should be in jail so hopefully the right thing is done but you know and and, and it just like it just says a lot that you know black people that i know and even myself is just like it, it's sad that even when you have clear evidence like this we still got to wait on bated breath it's like ah uh, you know they, they they you know they come they they arrested them but you know we gotta wait on bated breath because we don't know you know they might get off and like that that's that's sad that that's even like a thought like, in, in our heads, man. Yeah, well, because you've just seen it too many times. Obviously, the most famous one is that uh, Rodney King in L.A. And yeah, yeah. Like that, so. But, yeah, you're right. It has completely got to change. I think the one, uh, the main quote that stuck with me from that uh, Rewinder role was, um, and I'm paraphrasing, was when Nate said um, that, you know, we don't want more than you. We just want the same as you. And that really stuck with me for uh, mm-hmm. throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I... Uh... It's it it, it is a, a sensitive topic for most to talk about. Like I, I appreciate everybody who is willing to use their platform and speak out about the situation. Cause I like I, I know I know like and, and I try not to, to pressure anybody to speak out about the situation because I, I know it's like so sometimes people don't want to speak out of turn or they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to offend nobody, which I, I completely understand because everybody feels like they like that. I think that just shows like a a, a thing of people just knowing. Knowing their lane, I guess, for lack of better terms, and they don't want to, you know, offend anybody. But for those, like, if you are speaking out and you are retweeting and you are doing those things, that you know, it, it's greatly appreciated. And a lot of people do see it, and it means a lot. Instead of, you know, just completely trying to ignore the situation at hand, and then, you know, and, and just just lastly here, the last thing I wanted to, you know, mention, um, you know, was uh, the the people who consistently bring up the the, the all lives matter response and in, in in response to Black Lives Matter, like. It, it, the the thing is, like I, I I try to cheat those situations as um you know they are just uneducated about what Black Black Lives Matter is instead of them being like just completely ignorant. But like nobody is saying for for those who may not be able to understand who I listen to this, nobody is saying that your life doesn't matter. That's not that 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 like completely defeats the point. The only thing we're saying is. Black Lives Matter because do you see these videos, you see these things, these racial injustices that have been happening in America and all around the world for so long and nothing has been done about it. And that makes it seem, and it's quite frankly the truth, that in, in the eyes of the system, black people don't matter. And that's that's just what it seems like. And of course, you got your few um, cases of black people who have made it through that and they, they have gone on to achieve great and, 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 and you know, very like achieve a great deal of accolades but that's not the case for most people you know what i'm saying so like they, like and, and and just how you mentioned like they said you know we're not trying to get more to you just want the same and have the the same opportunities that you have and that's not a lot to ask for in a, in a country that preaches nothing but equality but doesn't really put that into action so you know that's just what that is no completely agree and i think the main thing that sort of like sort of like me, Benno, James, everyone else out there can do is just sort of like mm-hmm. keep educating ourselves, keep sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, signing petitions and getting on with this and, and like not just letting it be a sort of like a two-week flashing the pan, I think, Jamesy. 
Yeah, and I think be prepared to have difficult conversations. You know, like uh, we all have friends, we all have relatives. You know, Benno spent some time during the week arguing yep. with that generation of people. You know, we do all have the uncle who says things that you that you maybe laughed off in the past, you know, or, or, or you know, you just put it down to his generation and you hand wave it and that kind of thing. And I think it's got to the point where we have to have these difficult conversations now and we have to stand up. And as, as Andy said, there are young people standing up younger than me. You know what I mean? They're almost people that I would be old enough to be their father at this stage. And I admire them so much for their their bravery and their ability to speak up, you know. And I also think, like, to touch on what you said, Martin, about, you know, this, you know, it would be very easy for us to sit here and view that, view all this as an American problem and as a thing that's happening thousands of miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, but just just because there aren't these overt acts of brutality happening on the streets of Ireland and the UK, doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist over here. You know what I mean? And as I said, we all know the people who say problematic things. We know all know the people who have problematic views. Um, like I even think about our, our sports media. You know, like I, I, I've often been struck by the way black footballers are discussed in the sports media compared to white footballers. Like you will have people harping on about Paul Pogba, his haircuts. He'll be referred to. I, I I often hear black footballers referred to as lazy and self-indulgent and references made to how they carry themselves in the dressing room in ways that I never hear white footballers referred to. You know, Raheem Sterling, the way he's scrutinized by the tabloids all the time, the the way the, the way he spends his money is brought up. What I don't hear of similarly paid white footballers being, being referred to even on Sky Sports a few months ago. Do you remember we had Gary Neville? where he spoke up about there was an incident in, in, in a football match where there was racial abuse directed at, at players during an England match. And there was talk of the players marching off the pitch in protest and that kind of thing. And Gary Neville spoke very, very eloquently about racism. And he kind of broadened it to the systemic racism that exists in the UK. And he talked about the prime minister and about how he has made racial remarks in the past and how that seeps down. If the prime minister of a country feels OK to make racial comments then everybody else in the country is going to feel empowered to do so if that's the kind of person that they are, you know. And he spoke very eloquently about that. And immediately the presenter felt compelled to step in and say that that Gary's comments do not reflect those of Sky Sports, you know. So even there, he was kind of been been kind of told, you know, like that's, oh God, that's a difficult conversation. We don't want to have that difficult conversation. And I think now is the time that we need to start having those difficult conversations, you know what I mean? And I think there has been a disconnect for too long between what we say about racism and what we do about racism here in Ireland and the UK. And until that disconnect is broken down, I don't think things will ever properly improve, you know? No, that's it. It's about having that conversation. Like, like I said at the start, like, I've, you know, unfortunately I had those conversations on Facebook this weekend. I've had to have those conversations with my, with my own parents at points. Like, you know, my dad getting angry on Facebook about statues and horses, and yet he's not angry about the rest of the things that are going on in the world, you know? And they're, they're difficult conversations to have, but it kind of shows you how ingrained the problem is and I, and I think like you said Jamesy I think British people English people people outside of America can easily just hand wave it and go oh, that's a problem in America why are we bothered about it why are we on the streets about it and it's just like you need to listen to, and you need to pay attention to, to to black voices you need to listen to the, like Roy Johnson and Big T Justice you know a couple mm-hmm. of British wrestlers did a Twitch stream last week talking about the issues and I saw Roy Johnson did a, a really good video where he was basically he put 10 fingers up when he was going through you know 
put a finger down if this has happened to you in your life and it's like you know if, if if the police has stopped you and you've been in fear for your safety if you've got into a lift and it looks like somebody's scared of you if someone's crossed the road when they're coming towards you at night and he's putting all his fingers down and i'm sitting there as a you know as a english white male going i haven't really had to put my fingers down at all like you know that kind of white privilege that is there and is obvious but it's almost taken this conversation for even me to properly recognize you know that it's there i think that just says everything about how how ingrained it is and how normalized it is in our society you know we talked on grapple this week about how and we've talked about it a few times about what's taught in our schools in our, in our country like in liverpool where i live you know there's a big history um connected to slavery a lot of Famous places, Bold Street in Liverpool, Penny Lane, you know, the, the Beatles, uh, famous spot uh, linked to the Beatles in history has got alleged links to to, to a slave trader. Um, you know, the, that's where the name Penny Lane comes from. And we don't know this stuff and we don't recognize this stuff. And it takes these conversations to draw it out. Like it's easy for my dad or, you know, the other people on on your Facebooks to get mad about a statue and get, I'd be annoyed that a that a, a statue dedicated to a slave trader trader got thrown in some water. And it's like, well, hang on. Okay, one, why was that there in the first place? And two, actually, now I know I know more about that. I, I wasn't aware that that, that that you know the story behind that statue, and I'm kind of glad that I'm very glad, in fact, that that whole story happened and that statue got thrown in the water because one, it's the right thing to do, and two, I think it educated a, a lot of people like me about things that were maybe not taught properly in schools, and our, our history is kind of you know rural Britannia and, and whitewashed for lack of a, a better term as well. Um, so yeah, I would say like for anyone, as we've said, anyone who's listening to this thinking, oh, this is not a, a British problem. This is an American problem. Listen to, you know, the, the, the black voices who are, who, are, who are pointing these things out to us and, you know, have empathy and, and, and again, mainly listen to, you know, the stories that we're, we're hearing over these weeks. It's, it's not isolated to America. We have a, it might be different problems in some ways, but we have a, a lot of our own problems and yeah, it's not the, definitely not the time to be defensive it's if anything it's the time for introspection and for looking at ourselves and looking how we can be better and how the the people around us can be better as well and we can amplify uh, the voices that need amplifying right now yeah because there are obviously way more important things going in the world than wrestling i know andrew you were in two minds about coming on the show with us because obviously wrestling is not the first thing on your mind is it so we do appreciate you obviously coming on the show with us this week uh, no problem, man. Like, like at, at first, like, because when, when you initially asked, like, I was kind of down and out because, like, the, some, some of this stuff is, like, really mentally draining and it's, like, emotionally draining as well. So it's, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I really wasn't into it. But, like, as the, you know, as the days went on and I'm starting to see some things starting to change and even though it's not exactly where it needs to be, I'm starting to see, like, some changes, I guess. But, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of eased up on it, you know, as the days came on and then I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm about to join the guys, man. Let's have a good time. Talk some grass. And then, you know, of course, I, I know I'm glad we got to have this conversation as well. And like, you know, it wasn't like just brushed off and like or ignored. Like, I'm glad we got to, you know, had this conversation. And I think it needs to be had. And, you know, it, it says a lot, you know, um, to, to actually, you know, m admit the, 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 the white privilege. Because like, I, I feel like when when some people hear that, 
they take offense to it immediately. They like, mm-hmm. well, well, like, well, we're, we're white privilege. Like, we're all, you know, like we all have chances. Like, and and and, and not to shift topics too much, but th- this was like sort of a similar situation that I was listening to. I was into a, a sports talk show called Undisputed, um, and the, it was a, a coach um, for Clemson, Clemson University, and he was talking about how um, one of his staff members used the used the N word back in 2017. The player co- recently called him out on it, and like the whole thing was. Like his view of things was not serious, and it, and it still isn't. Like he he was using he said he was using it as like a a, a coaching tool as the one of the players saying it, and then was like, well, like, oh, this mindset of nobody should be saying it, and it was like he, he used the n word for for specifically mentioned, but and like one of my things was he like when they were uh, basically breaking it breaking the dude down, like he came from a, a, a struggling family, right, and. What he doesn't realize is, and, and some people may not agree with it, but I like this is what he doesn't realize. He's already privileged as it is. Just him being a white man in the, in this America and in the area he grew up in. That's just what it is. That's the fact of what it is. So the fact that he came out of that struggle, like there, there's no way for him to comprehend the idea of like you not being able to break through. Like he's of this master of regardless of your race, uh, you know, skin color, whatever it may be. All you got to do is work hard and you can make it. And that's not the truth. That's not what it is. And he's always going to be of that mindset of, you know, all you got to do is work hard and you can make it. So like, and and just to, you know, wrap that all around, like, I feel like it takes a lot for people to admit, like, white privilege is a thing. Because that's not, that I, I like, I'm pretty sure that's not something easy to admit and something easy to be like, you know, well, well why should I have to say that? And, and I, I, you know, just, you know, respect for, for those who are able to, admit that and accept that that is a thing and, and and are able to use it and take it into these protests or use their voice online to you know educate others who may not be of that same mindset because it, it really does make a difference yeah definitely we've got to everyone's got to sort of like come together on this thing uh sort of affect some kind of change and it is good that you were saying um sort of like uh, right at the start that um some changes do seem to be happening and hopefully that'll continue because um i mean Obviously, there is no easy transition from this interview, but obviously we asked you a while back to come on and chat um, WF UK Rampage 92. I mean, the original idea I had was, uh, you know, there's no currently no Brit rest happening, so we'd have uh, other members of the post-wrestling crew to come and chat some uh, WWE shows held in the UK, and uh, penciled in some shows for people to talk, and I asked uh, Andrew to come and do this one, uh, totally forgetting that, uh, I mean, did your parents even met when this show was <laughs> <laughs> So we're all going to feel very old right now. <laughs> so so, so uh, me and Martin were joking about this uh, via DM the other day, because he, he said he like it just randomly came to his mind, and he was like, were you even born when this show happened? And I was like, nah, I was, I was, I was born, wow. so I was born in '96. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> that hurts so, right off. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So, yeah, oh what dear. I was, you know, what I was doing when I found myself uh, watching this show, like one thing I was doing was like just kind of compare like how different, the, like how different the business is from back then to now, like and just how you guys mentioned earlier, like the the, the size of the wrestlers and how you know things are today. Like you could have a guy like. You know, well, and and Daniel Bryan already made his way. Bryan Dancer, he already he already made his way. But looking at where he is now, being five now, five eight, whatever he is, and being arguably the biggest star that WWE has, and then you know, look, looking back, like how would Daniel Bryan fit back in '92? Like I, I feel like he would just like get completely blown off for the most part. And then like you look at him now, dude's the biggest star 
in, in, in WWE right now. So like I, I found myself just, you know, consistently, you know, comparing how things are uh, now versus back then. But for the show overall, I really did enjoy the show for the most part. Like it, it wasn't anything like mind blowing as far as, um you know, in ring stuff. But I, I, I did kind of enjoy it for what it was just like as a, a retrospect, you know, looking back type of thing. Yeah, definitely. But, um, I mean, just before we get into the show, I wanted to have a couple of news items. And it wouldn't be a recent episode of uh, BWE without us bringing up the subject of Drake Maverick. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Despite losing in the finals of the Cruiserweight, he was offered a Cruiserweight uh, tournament. He was offered a new NXT contract by Triple H, who said he earned his spot, and now he's thrilled that he could continue to live out his dreams. I mean... We discussed this quite a bit on this show. Um, you know, Maverick was obviously one of the ones who got released from WWE the other month. But, uh, Andrew, I wanted to ask you, what was your take on this um, whole Drake-Maverick saga? Obviously, he released the video, and then um, he continued in this tournament, and now it seems um, he's sticking around in WWE. Yeah, that, uh, so, firstly, when they when he put out the video, like, and, and I think one of the things that really caught the attention of, you know, the power that be was when he actually tagged um, Shawn Michaels and Triple H in a tweet so they got every single notification that came through like I think that thing got like 10,000 retweets and like 23,000 likes and I'm pretty sure they got every single last one of those so I'm pretty sure that that, that had some impact and and I mean like I, I know some people kind of you know had some ne- negative opinions as far as like how he went about the situation but I mean like when you look at that that man didn't want to lose his job he didn't want to leave so he did what he had to do and he it, it worked out for him as far as the the storyline goes, I, I wasn't a fan of them trying to turn him actually being released into a storyline. But I mean, like he, he I, I, obviously he agreed to it, but hopefully it wasn't like something like where they like waited last minute to actually bring him the contract. Like hopefully this is a thing where from the, you know, because I, I think Triple H said during the takeover, it was either the pre or post uh, takeover media call when he said that uh, like initially the, the plans for the Cruiserweight tournament were already mapped out. And then once they, you know, the Drake Maverick situation happened, they they factored them in. But hopefully as far as the contract goes, like they didn't try to like wait last minute to offer him a contract. It's like some feel good type thing. Like hopefully that thing was, you know, at, at least signed a couple weeks before they actually did that. That Because if not, that, that's 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 messed up. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy for Drake Maverick, man. Like he he wanted his job and he wanted to stick around. He got what he wanted. So, you know, hopefully things uh continue on for him on the upside. And I, I think he would have did just fine outside of WWE, but you know, he, he wanted to stick around. I'm happy for him. Yeah, definitely. Cause, um, you know, as much as he might have done well outside WWE, uh, Benno, there's not much going on outside WWE at the minute, is there? No, that's it. And I and I, I always wonder like what's his situation with with a visa, that type of stuff. I know he's now married to an American, so I think he's probably all right. But, you know, all of those concerns as well. I would never, ever blame, you know, the sports slash Drake Maverick, the performer, for, for the person for signing that contract. Like, especially, you know, in this environment. Uh, if you force it, I'm still, I'm still not accepting it was a work, Martin. I'm still, I'm still got the, uh, you know, my flag to the master. The, uh, it, it was a shoot until it wasn't. I still, maybe that's just the Spud fan in me that, like, I, I can't accept that that crying video on Twitter, you know, hoodwink me, and it was all, uh, it was all, uh, you know, a mean-spirited kind of storyline ahead of time. There's definitely elements of this I would, would admit a mean-spirited, but I think I'm kind of hoping that, that it was more a case of, you know, it's still a horrible story, that the man gets sacked from his job, 
gets forced to come to work and then, you know, as a token gesture is given his job back. It's the, as we kept saying the last few weeks, it's the best of a, a few bad uh, outcomes to it, but it still feels dirty. Uh, I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking, listen to Andrew there. Like, I honestly, I wouldn't put it past them. We'll get like a WWE 24 or like one of those <laughs> network documentaries oh, and it will be a shoot. And they literally didn't tell him until, until Triple H came up to him with the contract or, oh. you know, make it best. They told him before he went out the curtain. I bet, honestly, I wouldn't put it past this company to do that to give you know, to give it the real emotion when he's out there when Uncle Paul comes out and uh, and gives the little child Spud a a hug. Uh, yeah, I honestly, that's my feeling. And something that Benno, I, I saw something that Benno mentioned on Twitter a while back, and it, it was when the Edge documentary came out, and, and it, it kind of had me thinking when um when Edge said that uh, another company, you know, of course, being AEW, started talking to him. And started making serious offers to him. That's when, I, I guess, when he went I and mean, he went to Vince and Vince McMahon and told them about you know the offer that he had received and the talks that he was having. That's when WWE started the process of you know clearing him. And I when when, when I remember Benno pointed out he was like you know not not saying that's exactly what it was, but it was like it was just kind of funny how when Edge initially brought that up, that's when they were like uh, you know. You know, we'll 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 clear you. You can come back, and it like it was just like it, it had me thinking about like you know th- just about the 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 agenda of you know the or the purpose of that. Hmm. Always be suspicious, Andrew. That's a, that's the whole <laughs> If you learn anything from this podcast, that's what we're, we're pessimistic guys, aren't we, James? <laughs> I think if if you start from a level of the most cynical thing possible, there's always a chance you can be pleasantly surprised. So that that that's my that's always that's always my attitude to WWE. And like to, to echo what you guys said, number one, I'm happy that that Drake Maverick still has a job. I'm delighted for him. Even if this was an angle, I hold no ill will towards him for it whatsoever. As Andy said, he did what he had to do to get himself a job, and that's fine. But if it was an angle, like, there, there's the whole aspect of it that, like, it, it's actually showing contempt for the viewers as well. Because, the, like, it's really bad taste to run an angle where a wrestler loses their job at a time when so many people are sitting at home watching TV and having that same uncertainty going on and that same anxiety going on in their own lives, you know what I mean? And that's not something we really touched on before. It's it's It shows contempt towards the fans almost, you know what I mean? Um, and there's other aspects to it as well. Like the next time somebody gets released, are we going to believe it now? Or are, are, are people going to go, you know, are they going to be adding that wrestler saying, ah, look, we only think that's a work, you know what I mean? So they've opened that whole can of worms as well. Um, did it add to the tournament in any meaningful way? I would say no. In fact, I think it. a lot of people I know, it actually turned them off from watching the tournament. Mm-hmm. It it completely overshadowed the new champions big moment. Like yeah. you would hope after after running after running around Robin tournament for a whole month, you would hope that it would elevate somebody and that the final scene of the show where the winner is crowned is that guy standing on the turnbuckles holding the title above his head and a big celebration on his behalf. And no. It has to be Triple H coming out. And and at the end of the day, who comes out of it looking, and I say looking in inverted commas, for the non-cynical viewer who isn't as cynical towards WWE as we are, who comes out looking good at the end of it? Triple H, the benevolent ruler coming out, putting his armor, putting his arm around this guy and giving him a contract. And we're all supposed to believe that he's this great guy. You know what I mean? And it's just, as you said, my, my cynicism is just in total overdrive with this whole thing. And like, I think about Nigel McGuinness, you know, Spud's pal, Nigel McGuinness, sitting at home having been furlocked, looking at this and like, how does that make him feel? 
to the, the fact that they're using firings to tell a storyline and a storyline that wasn't even good. It's just, I just, you know, you know, we, we'll be thinking at the end of the year in our Observer Awards about the most disgusting promotional tactic. Maybe we should make a little note and put a pin beside this one because I just, the whole thing just leaves me uneasy. I just don't like any of us. Well, where does that leave Devlin as well? I mean, surely he's not going to be able to fly out to the US for, you know, months on end. So where does that leave him? Are they going to have sort of like a big sort of unification match when everyone's forgotten who the uh, NXT interim champion is? <laughs> yeah. Did, did y'all notice how, like, they kind of, like, dropped the interim mm, from the tournament? Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they like, point, completely, yeah. like, did away with that. So that kind of was me, like, one, like, makes me wonder where, um, you know, Jordan Devlin's uh, as far. Because, like, I feel like he didn't really get a chance to, you know, really prove what he could do is it I mean of course everybody I mean for those who have seen him outside of WWE you know what he can do but I feel like he, as far as that primary WWE audience he didn't really get a chance to show what he can do if they if they're not already watching um um NXT UK so you know hope, hopefully it's, it's a situation of they're just going to do like the you know the unification match but you know I, I kind of feel like they're they're slowly slowly trying to you know come divert away from Jordan Devin a little bit and like focus on El Hio Dan Fantasma and then you know when when Jordan Devlin is a, is able to come back to the states, then you know they'll probably do do something there. Yeah, you would hope so because obviously that's one thing you can guarantee that Devlin's going to have a good match no matter who he goes up against. So yeah, hopefully uh, we see Jordan um, more in that. But I mean, some um, some good news because <laughs> obviously New Japan have announced they'll be coming back next week, and something interesting from our remit is uh, one Gabriel Kidd will be taking part in the New Japan Cup taking on Taji Ishimori in the first round. I mean, big deal for uh, Gabriel Kidd here, Jamesy. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it, it's just, you know, we've just talked about how the circumstances around the world have led to some bad luck for Jordan Devlin. And I suppose this is the other side of it. This is the stroke of luck for Gabriel Kidd. You know what I mean? Because I suppose in normal circumstances, he's be, he'd be way down the list of people that would end up wrestling in a new Japan Cup. But here he is. He happened to be in Japan, I presume, when the country was closed down. And him and Zach presumably just were in Japan. I didn't know this, but presumably they were in Japan all the time throughout yeah, this whole think, pandemic. Yeah, I think Zach has been there all the way through. Right. Yeah, but like it's it's just it's a great opportunity for him. Ishimori is is a decent matchup for him. I, I think they'll physically match up well. I, I I presume he's going to lose. You know what I mean? But put a big platform for him and for a guy who who took a chance on himself and went to the to the dojo in LA. Here he is getting his reward. You know what I mean? So it's just it's proof positive that there are other ways to be successful in wrestling in 2020. And you know. WWE is not the only way and opportunities are there and hopefully he grasps it with, with both hands I feel like he will and I do think Ishimori I think it's it's a good matchup for him even if they get 10 minutes and he gets a chance to shine it's a great thing for him to have on his CV you know I mean also Ben we've got the small matter of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. against Kota Ibushi in the first round I mean that was a, a great announcement oh definitely yeah um, I, I think <sighs> I know that the, the building towards, I think they're doing, they're doing tag stuff still, aren't they, with, uh, with Tanner and Kota, and that's probably where all this, that is going in that top corner of the block with, with Taichi in the mix as well. But part of me does think that like the winner might come from that little corner, and it might be, you know, they could go with Zach and, uh, again, and they could, they could, you know, get all behind him. I think it's 
Gaither was a man who, who sticks to his uh, his plans. Uh, you know that because <laughs> he's doing a New Japan Cup still. You know, despite the fact he's been off for Lord knows how, how many months, and he's he's lost what fourteen wrestlers in the bracket. Still happening though. Uh, he's always going. He's always going to push forward. Um, so he's not really the most flexible man, I suppose, when it comes to booking. But you never know. You know, the supposed winner might have been a, a Will Osprey, um, who obviously is uh, stuck in England, stuffing his face with roast dinners right now. Um, <laughs> about I mean, before he gets yeah. as big as Hercules, I mean, he keeps putting these videos up of himself all the time, and you're like, bloody hell, he's not going to be able to fit in any of his gear. Do you think he can still do a forward <laughs> roll? Never mind. He's flips. I mean, yeah. terrified, to be honest. The muscle um, he has put on is insane, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, he's earning that piggy nickname, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I wonder, yeah, where, where he you know would have slotted in uh, originally, and what you know what direction that would have gone gone, and whether yeah, it does mix things up with this thing. But to be honest, I'm just happy it's happening. Like this, this you know, it's been a horrible weekend, you know, through, horrible couple of weeks throughout the world, and I'm not saying this changes, you know, a lot of that. But it did feel like, you know, a bit of good news you know, that New Japan was coming back. But, like, at least in this pandemic, you know, we've got at least one country, Japan, who are dealing with it the proper way. Um, and it kind of, yeah. For me, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, at least at the, the pandemic side of things, it's that New Japan's coming back. The Premier League's uh, got to be coming back next week. And hopefully my barber might open in July. So I'll be back <laughs> that'll, uh, that'll cheer me up <laughs> Anyone who's seen my hair lately, uh, yeah, the old Rick Astley uh, oh. shot going on. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Simply Red's probably the uh, the better comparison. Buckle as uh, as Jamesy, Chris, and me, and as and won't leave me alone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we can sort those things, the world will be at least a better place for that. <laughs> you need to take a photograph of the pile of, of hair on the floor of the barber's mm-hmm. Benno once it's all gone I say it'll be a serious mound <laughs> although we have before and after mate I can absolutely promise that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there New Japan something you keep up with then Andrew Oh yeah, I keep up with New Japan. I love New Japan, man. Like, I was excited just like everybody else was. Like I, I'm, I'm really excited about the like the potential of of Shingo versus Kota Ibushi in the in the like in that mm. that 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 bracket right there. Like they end up meeting up. Like I'm, I'm really excited about that. Showing Shingo, especially. Um, you know, it, it. I, I really hope that you know, well, well, essentially, like what I'm thinking is that well, they are going to be doing the like fans at one thirds capacity, right. For the seven eleven and seven twelve shows, right. July 11th. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I, you know, I hope it's a, you know, a, a, a turn, a good turnout for whatever a good turnout is for one third capacity at Osaka Joe. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for those shows, man. And I can't wait till they start back up with next Monday. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm patiently away just like everybody else is. And, you know, New Japan back, so uh, you know, like like Benno said, it's gonna be um, you know, that that's not not that everything is fixed in the world, but you know, it, it did kind of seem like collectively, just from what I saw on social media, that a lot of people were like really like genuinely excited about you know New Japan being back. So you know, that's always good to see. Yeah, I think you said it a few times, haven't you, Benno? That it's you know, New Japan was sort of doing things the right way, and it kind of felt. Uh, you know, you knew things were sort of half getting back to normal when New Japan were going to start announcing shows. Yeah, it'll be mainly back to normal, Martin, when you can fly out to Japan and uh, <laughs> collect them. <yeah. laughs> is, is, is there any chance of that now? Is there, is well, the... I thought there was no chance. Obviously, me and my wife were booked to go back in October for the G1 finals and to hang around with the King of Tokyo himself, WH Park. But... Uh... <laughs> I think I think we've been sort of like we might be able to do a like for like 
um, sort of like swap it for a, the same holiday next year. But um, the way things are going, even if Japan's back to normal, I mean, the way things are going in the UK, still got triple figures yeah. in deaths every day. You know, I don't think they're going to be allowing anybody from the UK over there. So I guess it's just a, a way and see thing, isn't it? So uh, yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah, but I mean, just before we get into our main review, Benno, I know you've been crying into your T-shirt all weekend. Uh, GCW finally cancelled those Liverpool shows that were supposed to take place at the end of August. I can't believe it took them so long to actually cancel those things. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, mentally they were cancelled for me. I had no expectation of them being on. Uh, interestingly, um, TNT is still planning to run their own shows that weekend. I don't know whether that's that's wishful thinking. Uh, I know, for, you know they've got a, some shows uh, teamed up for Love of Wrestling, which I think is now Halloween weekend, mm. and that's still you know on the docket. You know whether that's a promotion that's maybe being more hopeful than others. Interesting though, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's the it's the flying people in and flying people around the world um that part of the the, the i suppose the uh i don't know the equation is is not going to be uh up and running anytime soon um at least i don't think you know for most of this year um i hope there's an exception for you to go to japan but yeah i think r- shows with fly-ins probably aren't goers so i think yeah anyone who was expecting it still to happen unfortunately it was a uh, was on to a loser but i think maybe yeah maybe a couple of positives you can take from that story if you can call them positives you know whether it's the right thing to do uh that you know tnt is still planning on running their shows gcw you know a bit but you know but yeah. my tears into my uh, my gcw t-shirt that i did order at the start of this this pandemic uh, and did arrive after about a month and about 15 pound worth of royal mail charges <laughs> that i just can't let go of uh it's a it's a rip off that system over here unbelievable your post office is, is way better in comparison uh, there andrew but um, yeah i think <laughs> I was waiting for that thing and it came and I, I was crying into it. And then, yeah, GCW at least have uh, solved some of our problems in that they're running a, a show on Fight next weekend, a 10 p.m. Saturday night show as well. Uh, they're going to be they're doing some interesting social distancing with uh, fans bringing their own chairs, fans having to bring their own masks, reduced capacity being outside. They announced their backyard show for uh, July 4th as well. Um, that's the one to watch, to be honest. Like, as much as I'm excited for it, it's, you know, this is the first indie that I'm aware of in, you know, the, in the Western world, at least, planning to try and run shows, at least with some fan uh, involvement. So, yeah, maybe there'll be uh, lessons for us all to, uh, to learn from that as well. Yeah, the, um, the promotion, ICW New York, they're, they're, I think they're running a show on July 4th as well, but they're doing like a... Um, it's like it's like a, a drive-in. No, it's on June twenty seventh. That's what it is, and they're doing a, a like a drive-in thing, like with fans oh, bringing yeah, their kids. Yeah. yeah, they they bringing their cars, and they like of course they got to stay in the car, and like I guess they're gonna have like people walking around like with drinks and stuff like that for people to buy. But they everybody got to stay in your car, and you could like watch the show from the yeah from your vehicle. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. I think it's gonna stream uh, on IWTV. So you know I'm excited to see that, and um I, I know they kind of had a they kind of had a little uh, a little situation I think with Chris Dickerson. Because he was supposed to compete on one of their shows, and I guess he he said that he couldn't do the quote unquote home team uh, the bad way. Meaning, I'm, I'm assuming he meant GCW because I mean they already had an issue dating back to uh, WrestleMania weekend. With, uh, I think you guys remember when Josh Barnett pulled him from the uh, ICW New oh, York yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that, 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 that was that whole thing. So yeah, I think he already had a, a stemming issue, and they uh, I think they announced yesterday that they were parting ways with him professionally. So yeah, that that was that whole thing. So I mean, but I'm excited that wrestling's starting to pick up. You know, it, it seems like you know, of course, with the social distancing, it seems like things are really starting to you know somewhat get back to what they were. But you know, just under these circumstances. 
Drive-in right. wrestling, maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the solution to uh, yeah. OTT's problems, you know, venue problems. <laughs> Just get a field somewhere, James, here, where you could all drive up in your cars. That would work, right? Yeah, we don't have many venues in Dublin, but there's certainly plenty of fields around Dublin that we could we could maybe stick a ring in the middle of and drive into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it, 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 it is going to need promoters to be innovative and to think of ways around this thing. You know what I mean? If they're going to have any hope of running shows in 2020, it's going to take a little bit of outside the box thinking and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering how long it is before a British company decides to go the, the the empty arena route and to try and maybe get some revenue from streaming live from a venue or something like that. Someone's going to try it, you know what I mean? I know Andy Q was talking about it yeah. with RevPro a little while back. I suppose the big thing is, would it be worth their while financially? You know what I mean? Can they make it a thing that it's worth, you know, because the big revenue for most indies is selling the tickets to the fans in the arena. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have to find some way to monetize it, maybe through live streaming or to getting donations on Twitch. But you know someone's going to try it. I mean, promoters are always thinking and the wheels are always turning in their heads. So probably only a matter of time before empty arena wrestling hits the UK as well, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, Andy Q's still loving and iron about it, isn't he? If his uh, Patreon sort of like uh, audio is anything to go by. Because originally they were supposed to be recording. It was sort of the weekend before lockdown, weren't he? He was on about recording a, a load of TV with no fans or whatever. And obviously we had the WrestleTalk TV show. But, I mean, um, it, it would be interesting. So obviously Osprey stuck in the UK with nothing to do. So, uh, yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting scenes in these no yeah. fan shows, yeah. Just, just the point about the ICW in New York. Are they do they do sort of like death matches and hardcore stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's all they do. Well, not 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 like all they do, but like that's like the you know the basis of the promotion, the death matches and stuff like that. Well, so you're brave we going front row for your uh, with your car. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Because like, can we cover them instead of the Scotland one, Martin? What do you reckon going forward? <laughs> Still like ICW promotion by now, to be fair. <laughs> that does, to be honest, yeah. Way better. <laughs> I wonder if Red Lightning's over there as well. Oh, God. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, on to uh, another of our retro reviews, and uh, obviously a small matter of WWF UK Rampage 92. And um, I mean, WWF might have been on a downswing business-wise in the US, but they were absolutely strip-mining the European fan base at this point, weren't they? I mean, show. <laughs> show was held at the newly built Sheffield Arena on April the 19th, um, just a few weeks after WrestleMania 8, I remember, I think it was the Easter weekend, so um, little 10-year-old Martin was in attendance for this, um, can't give you many live takes, all I really remember is going into school the next day with a sore throat from so much chanting and screaming for Bret Hart and Bulldog, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that, that was you, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> screaming along to Were you rushing... Phone. <laughs> were you rushing the guardrail I saw that they'd zoom out after every match and when the bell rang for the end of a match you could see all the kids rushing towards the guardrail straight away were you doing that Martin as well no sadly I was up in the uh, up at the top mate I think my dad oh, okay. was like oh well yeah I want to take them to this but I don't want to spend ridiculous money on tickets so this will <laughs> yeah. poor guy little did he know he was going to have to take us to every wrestling show there until about 1994 um... <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, but um, I mean, like many WF UK shows, this one isn't for the star ratings or anything overly memorable. But I thought it was a good chance to look back at that time period and a fun bit of nostalgia for us older folks. Um, cause it's it's an interesting time period, isn't it? Night two, they're obviously in huge transition. You know, we'd seen arguably one of the best rumbles of all time earlier in the year. Hogan leaving after WrestleMania eight, Warrior coming back. Sid literally hanging around for a cup of coffee, Undertaker just turned face, and then 
Obviously, this slow transition from the uh, muscle-bound giants into the more work-rate guys like Brett Hart and Shawn Michaels. Um, I mean, Jamesy, what are some of your initial memories from this time period? Cause obviously, they were coming over to Dublin uh, quite a bit as well, weren't they, on these uh, European tours? They were, yeah. Like, and I, like 1992, for me, is the year of my childhood in terms of wrestling. Like, I, I think everybody kind of has a year when they were a kid when their interest in wrestling was as, as was at its absolute peak. And definitely for me, 1992 was that year. Like, I, I'm still stunned at the fact that Andrew was born in 1996. <laughs> like in, 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 in 1992, I was... I was 11 years of age in 1992, and I, I'm just disgusted here at, at that age difference, to be honest with you. But um, like, yeah, like, like I, I, I was completely all in on my wrestling by 1992. Like, I, I, I would have been aware of wrestling as a younger child, but for for a while we didn't have the channel in my house to watch wrestling. We didn't have Sky One or Sky Movies or Sky Sports. Um, so people in school would have been talking about this thing wrestling for a few years. And like, it would even be a thing where I'd be buying wrestling magazines before I had ever seen wrestling on TV and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of had this thirst for knowledge about wrestling and this fascination with it. And by the time it actually came on our TV in the house, I was just ravenous for information about it like i remember i'd be looking up teletext on the tv to try and find wrestling information just this thirst for knowledge about it so when i was actually able to watch it i was completely all in on it you know what i mean and like i have so many memories of watching it, it would be saturday afternoons we, we would have watched superstars on sky one myself and my brother two o'clock on a saturday afternoon i'd always remember we'd sit down to watch superstars and like just so many memories of that time. Like, as you said, Martin, that, that Royal Rumble being the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, like, and everybody that's in it. And it must be my most watched wrestling match of all time. I think that I must have watched that match at least 50 times. Like, you still watch it and still enjoy it and still find something to enjoy in it. All the angles that, like, this was still the cartoonish era of wrestling. As we can see from this show, work rate was not a thing. It was all about the big characters. It was all about the angles. And so many angles I remember, like, in January of that year, the barbershop window, Shawn Michaels turning on Marty Jannetty and throwing him through the window of the, of, of the barbershop, you know, just blew my mind at the time. Um, around this time, the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango feud, where Warrior, you know, he's doing that interview with me and Gene and he starts sweating this kind of black goo because Papa <laughs> Shango's put a, put a curse on him and me, 11 years of, of age, terrified watching this yeah. and him, vom him vomiting everywhere because, Papa, because of Papa Shango's curse. And like, I was so afraid of that. Like, I was so afraid of The Undertaker at the time. The, the nails and boss man angle that summer when, when they had teased this guy coming out of prison and then when he finally kind of appeared and he really brutally beats up Boss Man. And I just remember again being absolutely terrified by that angle. And the flair macho man Elizabeth angle, that, that was the angle that you were afraid your mother would walk into the room while you were watching it because yeah. Rick Flair, <laughs> Rick, Rick Flair is talking about all, all the times he's... he's wined and dined Miss Elizabeth and sharing bathrobes beside the pool and you're ready with your hand on the hand on the, on the remote control in case your mother would walk in and you'd have to quickly change the channel because you knew she wouldn't let you watch wrestling anymore if you were watching this stuff like just just great great memories like and I, I, looking back one of the most stacked rosters they ever had when you think about all the people who were there that year Hogan Warrior Macho Man Flair Brett and Sean on the rise Jake the Snake Roberts Undertaker 
Sid, like so much, Roddy Piper, like just a who's who of early 90s wrestling. Like it nearly wasn't fair how much talent they had, you know. So like, yeah, as I said, for, for, 19, for me, 1992 was my year. And like, you know, even if the matches weren't great watching this show, just the nostalgia trip of watching all these guys, like it, it was really enjoyable for me. Were you a 1992 guy as well, Benno, or was it, was it your era or... That's a good question, to be honest, because I would say yes, because I would say that was the peak. That was the peak of, you know, everyone in school watching wrestling. Everybody, yeah. I, every kid I knew from my streets, we'd be, you know, in, in each other's back gardens doing Boston Crabs and having wrestling <laughs> matches and doing doing figure four leg locks. They were the two moves. Oh, and the fit and the, the perfect plaques. They were the three you couldn't get out of in, a, in what we would call backyard wrestling those days, but nothing like the, what backyard wrestling would, would become. Um, yeah, like everyone I knew watched wrestling. I watched wrestling. I was big into it. But I struggled to pinpoint because... I'm pretty sure I started watching in early 1991. But I think the thing about this era is that even though I would say I was a big fan in 1992, we're all exchanging tapes and we're all watching old. We're all basically watching the Hulkamania area, which is, for all intents and purposes, pretty much on its last legs here, uh, at least as far as, you know, the, the, the first uh, incarnation of it goes. But... For me as a kid, it was just watching all these different VHSs, watching all these different Silver Vision videos are completely out of sync. So while yet yeah, I think 1992 is my era, I kind of I'll I'll more remember in this year watching say WrestleMania six with Hogan Warrior, or obviously you know SummerSlam this year is a is a big one. I do remember um, going around to my mate's house and watching the morning after. Um, but yet a lot of it wasn't viewing at the time to the point where. Until I throw through UK Rampage 92 on, I honestly don't think I've ever seen the show. I, had a feel, I felt like I had. And then I watched it, and I really don't think I had. I think a big thing was that it, it was always, you know, pride of place, didn't it? And the, the insert of the Silver Vision videos, where it was one of the, the, the big ones. The UK Rampage, not just 92, I think 91 and 93 as well, yeah. would be there as ones that you could, uh, you could send off to buy. And it, I'd always admire the cover. Um, and, and kind of it was this mystical event that happened in the UK or this mystical series of events that happened in the UK that I was unfortunately uh, too young to talk my mum and dad into taking me. Um but yeah, it, it wasn't actually a show that I that I that I saw from this period. So it was weird watching it actually, because it was like I was getting that nostalgic vibe, you know, as the different wrestlers come out, and it was reminding me of the fact that you know Skinner comes out, and I've got a Skinner wrestling figure somewhere because it was probably one of the the only ones left in the shop. That's how uh, hot sellers they were in there <laughs> in that period. I had the multiple bushwhackers ones because I was a big fan of those. And yeah, I think like we were saying, it, it's more about the the guys on the show on this one that gave me like the nostalgic feeling. Rather than the show itself because yeah i think this was definitely a, a first time for me and probably makes sense because yeah based on you know how we i was watching things back then it probably would have been 1994 or 1995 or this uh this tape made it around my mates but unfortunately most of my mates had got after got out of wrestling not long after this either um but yeah same thing though it, it definitely is like the this the rock and wrestling, Hulkamania, early nineties, cartoon beer, whatever you want to call it, like yeah, it is completely tied into my childhood. And yeah, you can't you can't separate the two things in my in my mind. Yeah, because I mean, no. I think all three of you asked me whether it was UK Rampage ninety two or ninety three, and I also <laughs> I also went to the ninety three one, which was headlined by um, Yoko Zunavi, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. So we're uh, be glad that we watched this oh, one and not that night. Yeah. Even as a kid, I knew that was awful. 
Wow. I, I was having a look at the night. I think Hogan turned up for the 89 one and the 91 one. Obviously, he wasn't, uh, wasn't bothered at this point. Just thought, we'll headline with Davey instead. That'll be fine. Yeah. But did anyone have a, I had a little look at the Wikipedia. Did anybody see what the undercard, the, uh, the, the dark match was for this show and for the one before? Like the dark match on this one was Alan Kirby versus Johnny Boy Collins. I was going to quiz you on whether you knew they were, Jamesy. But on the 1991 <laughs> show, what really caught my eye, there was, there was a six-man tag. Uh, as a dark match, and it was Will, it was Stephen Regal, Dave Taylor, uh, and Drew McDonald. Drew McDonald were all in there. I think it was Regal, Taylor, and Tony Sinclair against Drew McDonald. And I've got it here. And Chick Cullen and Johnny South. Like imagine you, you wow. being a kid, Barton, and going to your first live WWF show, and those lads wheel out. You'd be just like, what? That just feels like <laughs> two worlds that shouldn't be together, doesn't it? Like it just doesn't feel right that, that Regal was on a was doing WWF shows in 1991. Yeah, sorry about that uh, dark match from the 92 one, and um, I have no memory of that whatsoever. And but I think we might have missed the dark match. I think we literally came in as Tatanka's entrance was because um, obviously the uh-huh. arena was newly built, and um, where it's built in Sheffield is where all the old steelworks used to be in like World War Two what have you and it's just like a where they and, and so all the roads are tiny and there's no parking or anything so i think we spent ages trying to get a parking space somewhere so i think we ended up missing that yeah because i've got literally no memory of it but um, andrew i mean um have you <laughs> have you had a chance to uh, catch much stuff from 92 yeah. before like the rumble and SummerSlam 92 and things like that uh, of course, uh, of course, the '92 SummerSlam. I think that's like very well spoken about. So, of course, I had to go back and you know ch- check that out. Uh, this was actually my first time seeing this UK Rampage show. Um, uh, it, it sounds like '92 was a great year, you know, from <laughs> from what you guys uh, say. But like, it, it's, it's crazy because like with 1992, like what, what it seems to be to you guys, that that's kind of what like 2003 was for me in a weird way because like that's when I discovered uh, TNA. And like when when you when I started watching that, like you start to hear, you know, of course the announcers, uh, um, Mike Tanay and Don West, you start to hear them like name drop, like different, you know, different promotions and stuff. Like just here and there, like you know, coming like hearing what different guys came from and stuff like that, and then you know, go off and onto a little search and then start seeing other stuff. And like I kind of discovered, you know, there was stuff outside of WWE, even though I think that's when you know WWE was at, at its peak for me about uh, back in '03, and I think that was doing some of their best stuff back then. But um. Yeah, man, it, it, it's it's just crazy to see like the parallels between like you know 1992 and like how, how that was for you guys and how 2000 was, how 2003 was for me. So uh, as far as 1992 goes, uh, I know like a little bit of the backstory, like and, and just some stuff and, and you know enough to tie it all together. But like <laughs> uh, four four years before before I was even pretty pretty sure before I was even thought of. So you know, yeah. <laughs> What was TNA sort of like your first wrestling then? That's quite interesting. I was going to say, I'm very sorry about that if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> How did you not give up after six months? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was my first exposure like outside of WWE because, of course, you know, I was wrestling fan like i even have this uh this video somewhere i, I gotta find it off my like my mother's camcorder or something like it's it's like um this thing where i was like slamming pillows on the couch like watching raw like in 99 it's, 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 it's a crazy video i gotta put that out there one day but like tna was my first exposure like outside of wwe so like that that was like what i was really into and like yeah so that that that, that was my first experience yeah i was basically outside of uh you know world wrestling entertainment wow um i mean just to go back to the show obviously it's filmed for uh 
Sky Movies Plus, I believe. Obviously, Sky and WF are really good partners with each other at the time. Um, tons of people missing from this card there. Warriors just come back. Obviously, he ain't coming over for a UK tour. No player <laughs> around this time. I think, didn't you say he's in Japan around this time, Jamesy? According to the, I just had a quick brief look through the observers to see was there much mention, and it's funny that there's zero mention of this actual show because I was looking to see would he give a an attendance for it, but and I actually did a search and there's no no mention mention of the Sheffield show at all. I did but the yeah. same thing. Control yeah. at Sheffield. Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> it's yeah, there, is it? yeah, yeah. 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 The, the observer afterwards, but it's like it didn't That's happen. Right. He just talks about yeah. the Wembley shows, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and this was like this. This was the closing night of the tour. Like it was a fairly big deal. And it was one of the few nights on the tour where they only ran one show. Like they, they split the roster in two and they go to different countries. So like I looked up Cage mm. Match. This was the, this show was the 19th of April. On the 16th of April, half the roster went to Dublin and wrestled in the Point Theatre here in Dublin City. And the other half were over in Germany in Dortmund. So like we, we talk about the European tours these days been grueling. Like this was a seriously grueling tour that they were on, you know. Um, and Dave does note in one of the observers, it was at the time, it was one of the most lucrative tours. I think if not the most lucrative tour they'd ever done outside of the of the US. So like clearly at this point in time, the European market was really hot for wrestling. You know what I mean? And I would imagine the success of this tour would have given them great confidence about the fact that they were running an actual pay-per-view later in the summer at Wembley Stadium, you know what I mean? Because apparently the merch sales were just off the charts, you know. But yeah, Flair was in Japan, apparently, Martin, yeah. Now, which seems strange to me that a WWF guy would be allowed to go to Japan, but maybe it was something he had in his in his contract or, or a contract he'd already signed before he came to WWE because he only signed with them, I think, in the very end of 91, kind of, I think, December 91, January 92. So, yeah, as you said, lots of the big names missing off the card. Mm. I, I think I read that the Flair did maybe the early dates and then flew uh, off to okay. Japan and right. didn't make it to the end of the tour. But, yeah, it was like, I think the other thing was, I think Jake Roberts and Warrior, uh, it said that the Observer were advertised as the headliners on the tour, and then just neither of them were there. I think Jake had signed with uh, WCW, hadn't he? Yeah, I think it was, WCW, yeah. It was like a, a dispute over him wanting to be on the booking team, I think was the story in WWF at that time. So, yeah, on top of the guys you can't, you were losing through attrition anyway during this period. Like, I'm sure it didn't bother, you know, young you, Martin, or uh, the kids in the crowd once you got there, and you, you get to see, you know, Undertaker, and you get to see Randy Savage, and you get to to see all these big names anyway but yeah interesting that you know yeah even back then yeah the advertising wasn't necessarily the uh the show that you got in front of you and on comms here obviously we've got bobby heen and grill monsoon who just put an all-time uh of a performance at royal oh Rumble, my god I mean, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i really don't know how gorilla was not laughing at every single thing that he was like <laughs> I, I don't know how he did it like i I couldn't have done it because, like, he and, like, when I was just watching this show, I just found myself, like, at just various points, like, just doing, like, little smirks and stuff like that because he, he, he's, like, just one of those, like, naturally funny people. Like, they don't have to try hard to be funny. Like, he's just naturally funny. I don't know how Gorilla did it. I really don't. Like, he can't, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had some moments there, like, when he probably got quiet and he was laughing, but I, I don't, like, as far as, like, not having, like, just a big burst laugh, like, I, I don't know how he did it. Yeah, he was definitely a brilliant straight man for uh, a lot of Heenan's uh, jokes and things, wasn't he, uh, Benno? 
Oh yeah, I mean, that, that was always the beauty of that relationship where you you kind of even as a kid watching it, you kind of were like, ah, you secretly know these two must love each other. You know, like watching Prime <laughs> wrestling and seeing them like bounce off each other. Like it was always <laughs> obvious, wasn't it? Uh, but yeah, I've got a real real soft spot for this combo. Like it's funny because we mentioned the observers. I know Meltzer's not really ever been a fan of uh, Gorilla, and he kind of gets picked apart by maybe the people who are a bit older than we were maybe at the time and, and a bit smarter to the business because a lot of his commentary was wasn't it kind of putting himself over and telling off the referees and telling off the baby faces for not going for not hooking the leg and things like that but all those little gorillaisms you know right in the bread basket and all of that stuff like maybe <laughs> it's the nostalgic bone in me but I, I love them he's one of my favorite favorite commentators of all time and yeah Heenan's right up there with him that um ROH uh, Mania weekend show 2006 that myself John and Way were all at Heenan was there doing photographs and it's one of my biggest regrets because you know obviously he obviously did he died not long uh, after that uh, was to knock get a photograph with him because he's one of my absolute heroes in wrestling what a, what an absolute legend and yeah even though you're, you're supposed to coming towards the end of his his peak into WWF at this point and this was for all intents and purposes a house show he's still hilarious even without trying I think we found out in WCW didn't we later on he doesn't even, doesn't even need to put the effort in to be funny he's just one of those naturally hilarious people yeah, I like I'm still muddling my way through those 1995 nitros and even the difference in in him on nitro compared to here. Like like here he feels motivated, he feels excited to be there, he feels on the ball, he feels energetic. By the time he gets to those nitros, he's still funny, but there's a spark missing. It's it's almost yeah, like he's sure. it's almost like WCW has defeated him in some kind of a way and he's lost that spark and that energy. And as I said, he's still a very, very good broadcaster and he's still the guy holding that like that that broadcast boot is him, a very, very inexperienced Eric Bischoff and Mongo mm. McMichaels, who who just is just saying things. He's just saying the first thing that comes into his head. So poor Al Heenan has to has to carry the whole thing almost and you can see his exasperation at dealing with these two at times there like whereas here he's just on fire isn't he like and he's even throwing in British references to his jokes and everything like he's made the effort to tailor the humour to the British audience and that kind of thing and yeah just just absolute magic those two are just magic for me and uh, those two are my childhood bickering constantly on commentary <laughs> that's my childhood for me in a microcosm you know I love how his knowledge of uh, Britain is um, about Fergie, and uh, he brings Fergie <laughs> up a few times, don't you? I think she was a celebrity in the US around the same time, and then Maid Marion. He's got exactly. some... <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant yeah, stuff. Yeah. The announcer here is uh, Mike McGurk. I remember at the time wondering where Fink was, but uh, obviously learning years later that she was the daughter of wrestler Leroy McGurk and, uh, and had mm. been a regular announcer for WF, also doing commentary, and she eventually left the company in 94, and I'd completely forgotten she'd uh, ring announce this show as well. Yeah, it was like like the really the, like just speaking on the the ring announcer aspect. Like the one thing I re- I'm really like into the production and stuff. And like the one thing I like is like the buildings that like that are mainly in the UK, like the Empress Ballroom and Royal Albert Hall, and of course uh, Sheffield Arena. Like the like, I really like how the acoustics are in the building. Like the sound bounces off the wall. So like when the ring announcer was announcing the names, like when you would hear like when she would drag out the Undertaker, like it would sound like the sound was like hitting the back of the arena and like I, I I'm, I'm like real into that i love that stuff gets me like hella excited i love that stuff so like it was really cool to like see the you know just the, just to hear the acoustics and like how just the buildings are you know put together and stuff like that because it seems like that's how most of the buildings are in the uk like they all have that great sound to it and the sound just rebounds off the wall or rebounds off the ceiling and it like it hits everybody so like i, I really like that 
Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because obviously in America, the uh, you know, you've got a lot more land mass over there, so the stadiums yeah. and arenas are 10 times bigger than they mm. are over here. So I suppose the acoustics uh, work a lot better in sort of like the uh, smaller arenas we've got over here. But, um, I mean, just to jump into the first matches, uh, Skinner against Tatonka. And, um, I mean, as a kid, I used to love Tatonka. You were talking about uh, mimicking wrestlers in the playground at school, Benno, and um, <laughs> dropping your mates on the head was an easy, uh, <laughs> easy move there. Um, it's interesting about Tatonka. He actually um, had a bit of a revival in the UK a few years ago. I think Southside must fetch him over about four times. I saw him against Drew Gulak, of all people. Such a completely wow. random match. I remember him... <laughs> being really pissed off at a group of fans on the front row because they were big Drew Gulak fans and they booed when Tonka won and he even went over to them and started, like, you know, dressing them down in front of everybody. I actually felt a bit sorry for him. Oh, poor fella. Like, to be fair, though, he's made a good career out of the gimmick. Like, for a gimmick that yeah. was over to a point, but, you know, there was... there was My main memory of him is doing the, the whole uh, is he going to take the million-dollar man's money thing? Uh, was it with Luger? Uh, and then he ends up being the one who turns and joins the uh, the million-dollar corporation, the uh, the original wrestling corporation before Vince McMahon's one. Um, and that... You kind of think of him like that, but you don't think of, like, the long tail he's had in his career, because it wasn't that long ago, was it, that he was on SmackDown? Like, Randomly, like yeah. him and um, Road Warrior, Road Warrior Animals, <laughs> the other one, where he just kind of got a weird late 2000s kind of run. What was he doing on SmackDown? Uh, what were you going to say, Andy? And I, I was just gonna say I was gonna uh, you know back up what you said he was um doing the random thing on SmackDown just having like random appearances like yeah like a, a Royal Rumble appearance like just, it was just like hearing stuff there like in a uh, Road Warrior Animal came back and he did the tag team with Hyde and Reich yeah. and they won the tag team titles yeah. So strange, yeah. It's just a. It just feels like somebody out of comp- out of a completely different place and time kind of dropped in. Um, it was a bit like when they tried to bring the, the headbangers back a couple of years ago, but that wasn't a quite as successful. <laughs> but yeah, to be fair to Tanka, think of the money he's probably made out of that out of that um, gimmick, um, like over the years in Polaroids and appearances and stuff. It's it definitely it still gets a pop out of people, and yeah, it's really similar to you, Mark. Really tied to my childhood too. So I thought we've got the small matter of the match and uh, Skinner. I feel we found him a weird one because it's kind of like yeah. you know, he's this bad guy just because he lives in the Everglades in Florida. And I'm like, well, is that, I don't know, is there bad people who live in the Everglades in Florida? I'm not quite sure. But yeah, looking back at it now, he's such a weird character. He's sort of like, is he supposed to be the, the guy wrestling the alligators or what? I think trying to think back because this was a sort of like time period leading into when everyone sort of like got a gimmick based on a job or something like that, didn't they? You know, <laughs> you had the, yeah. that the player and everything like that. So I don't know. It's a really weird gimmick I always find with Skinner Jamesy. Yeah, I, like I, I, I vividly remember, you know, when you're a child you don't have as much of an idea of the hierarchy of wrestling in the way that we do now. Like we know now who the jobbers are. We know who the main eventers are. We know who the guys at the intercontinental title level are. When you're a kid, you're kind of oblivious to all that. But even I knew back then that Skinner was a jobber. (laughs) I genuinely don't think I ever saw him win a match unless he maybe won a couple of squash matches when he debuted and that kind of thing. So I even knew he was the lowest of the low on the card. And like, if you couldn't beat Skinner, you were going nowhere. Was it Skinner and Owen they did at Mania? I vividly remember Owen, Owen Hart's yeah, kind of... It, it, was, yeah. it, was the first, it was the first feud Owen had when he kind of broke up with, with Anvil and kind of was going as a singles guy and he was a kind of high flyer in, in the colourful outfits and all that. Vividly remember that. Um, this match, like it... Do you know what? 
I looked at it on paper before we started and I thought this would probably be the worst match on the card. This is by no means the worst match on this card, which will tell you a lot about the level, which will tell you a lot about the level of the card we're going to talk about. But like, I, I, I did think at least these two worked hard. And I do think like Tatanka was still relatively new and he was still on an upward trajectory, I think, in the company. So he's still very motivated here. Like, and, you know, they do a 10 minute match. They put in a decent shift. And as I said, the best thing I can say about it, it's, it's probably like a two, two and a half star match. And that puts it maybe in the top five matches on the card. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> so, so was, I wonder, so it was Skinner, was he, he, he wasn't the original doink, the clown, was he? Like he was the second or third one or whichever, because I, I read that he played doink the clown. So was that, was he the first one? I don't. He 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 was Steve Kern, wasn't he? And the original Doink to Clown yeah. was was he Matt Matt Bourne. Matt Bourne, that's right. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, there you okay. go. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was I was wondering. I was like, because when Tatanka first came out, like he got like a massive pop, and I was like, I was wondering like why he got the massive pop. And I looked and uh, did some research, and I found out that he was like undefeated that, during that time from like ninety one to ninety three on television. Yeah. And it so like it was undefeated yeah. run, yeah. Uh, he had a big undefeated run, so that I mean that kind of makes sense now. Like you know why he got the big pop. He was a, obviously you know presented as a you know a, a massive star on TV, so you know obviously people reacted as such. Yeah, we had that uh, winning streak going on. Yeah, for ages and ages, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, and I think that's. I think the other thing is, you know, it's a it's a show where it felt like a lot of people in the crowd. It might have been their first experience seeing this mm. bright American wrestling live and seeing yeah. these stars. So I think Tatanka got the the privileged position, didn't he? Being the uh, the first baby face out there as well. So mm. I bet that helped. And yeah, n- nobody was uh, was going to be a contrarian and uh, cheer for Skinner on that night, even as a as a kid. Like James <laughs> said, he he always looked like a bum, didn't he? In, in his get up and his. Mm. It was the first time I think I experienced what chewing tobacco was and I always used to think that was gross uh, he's just a <laughs> weird, weird just steaming pile of shit of a man uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think, when, I think the tank was coming out it was like oh good at least we've got a star here in this match and he got the, uh, he got the big uh, superstar reaction that is so funny because I, I imagine Vince came up with this gimmick walking backstage around um, his own locker room and seeing all the wrestlers uh, chewing back here, which I imagine they were around this time period and going, oh, that's disgusting. I'm going to get that. I'm going to make that into a gimmick. That sounds like a sort of like Vince sort of thing to do. But um, yeah, I mean, moving on to the, the next match and um, I mean, obviously Legion of Doom got a massive pop here. Obviously that uh, theme tune always does does it for them. But um what a really interesting pairing of uh, Colonel Mustafa and uh, Dino Bravo. I remember even at, even as a kid, I was like, oh, yes, sort of vaguely have heard of Dino Bravo. And then obviously knew Colonel Mustafa from the whole sort of Sergeant Slaughter, um, the Hulk Hogan deal, especially from SummerSlam 91. Obviously, I was, wasn't aware of him as being the Iron Sheik at the time. But yeah, what a, what a random hodgepodge of people to throw together. But... I suppose the interesting thing from uh, this match is, um, obviously, I think this is Dino Bravo's last appearance for the WWF. Obviously, we've had the Dark Side of the Ring episode about Dino Bravo recently. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, I think this is his uh, final appearance before he, he got uh, murdered the year after. Um, so, yeah, quite timely um, coming with the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode we got, Andrew. Yeah, definitely. Like, my that this was, that well, that Dark Side of the Ring um, episode, that was my first like time ever like honestly hearing about Dino Bravo 
honestly like that was my first time ever hearing about so like of, of course when you see these things like you want to go and look back and stuff like that and it like it, it seems like well f- just from what i took from the documentary that like to when he got to wwf it was like of course as you guys mentioned earlier in the show the business was starting to change a little bit and it was just like he ca- he quite didn't didn't fit towards the you know the end portion of his career there but um yeah man it, it's like the, the one thing i did like about this show specifically that the matches didn't run too long like everything was like 16 like, i think the most yeah. was probably like 16 minutes and the other was like four minutes five minutes six minutes so it, it didn't drag so i think that was that's another thing that made the show easy to go through yeah, cause this is your standard LOD, and it? A couple of guys, yeah. they hit the big moves, um, don't sell anything, <laughs> and yeah, it's over. I think it's less than five minutes, this one, Benno. Yeah, mm. about four, I think, yeah. I don't, I don't think it matters either you're in, in there with, never mind, <laughs> it being the, uh, the dream team of Kale and Mustafa and Tino Bravo. Uh, it's funny, funny you mentioned there, Martin, about Kale and Mustafa being, obviously, being the, uh, the Iron Sheik, and uh, not knowing as a kid. For me, that was one of the few kind of pre-dare cheat open rumours, I think, uh, me and yeah. mates to talk about, where maybe the older cousin had just spotted that but that is literally the iron cheek like similar to um later on in the show with repo man and him being a smashing reality like that was uh that was something that kind of made its way around around my schoolyard maybe it was a uh, like that that was that was how the rumors were spread none of this uh observer nonsense back then that's how we uh we all learned the, the real uh inside of the business i don't know how i explained it to myself as a kid because i don't think i was entirely clued in on it all being a work and like just people turning up and just being an entirely different personality i kind of just <laughs> accepted that's just something that happens in wrestling too we'll just change the clothes and become an entirely different human being that's normal <laughs> isn't it <laughs> it was yeah it was kind of an open one for me and yeah the, really it was just like which two dudes have we got here who can lose who can lose to lod it was all about lod coming out getting that pop and i'm so jealous martin you got to be there live for a for a road warrior pop uh, that's that's a that's a big one to uh to tick off the bucket list and really yeah it was just about getting to see them in there uh beating two dudes up uh and that's kind of what this match was yeah another thing i do remember is that my dad flatly refused to buy us any of the uh shoulder pads that were available at the minute oh that's good because that was think that was something it mentioned and he was ever actually reading back that like you know james he said about it being a really successful tour the majority of it was the sheer money they made mm-hmm. like the there was uh, apparently on one, I think it was a Berlin show on this tour. They made two hundred thousand dollars just in just in merch, just in souvenirs, wow. as it was described in the Observer. And they literally, the WWF literally uh, flew a, a Concorde jet full of merch out for the next night in, I think it was London or somewhere like that, because they knew they needed to top up. And they knew no matter how much it cost to charter that flight, they were going to make double it in, uh, in merchandise. Uh, yeah, and I bet you they sold a lot of those shoulder pads. That's good, isn't that? Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely one that, uh, that that's, a, that's a bit of merch that I would uh, always have wanted to. Yeah, because I think uh, Bruce Richard said they did the same thing for SummerSlam 92 as well. They'd sold tons of merch and had to, like, fly. Um, so I think they'd been doing sort of things in London around the sort of Wembley Stadium leading into the show, and they'd, they'd like, sold tons and tons of merch already, and they had to fly Concord out again to bring a load back <laughs> for the actual show itself. So. What a privilege, eh? Didn't learn the lesson either. <laughs> you think they'd learn the second time? No. <laughs> I say, uh, what's the name? The Iron Sheik. He's probably like one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Honestly, I'm saying like, I, it, it ain't it ain't nothing like waking up at nine in the morning seeing Iron Sheik talking about fuck Hulk Hogan. Like that. That's like the best 
That's like the best thing. He will break his back. Like he's tweets stuff. Like I should have ended you when I had the chance. And like, oh, like I, like I'm, dude, is hilarious, man. I'm telling like if anybody's a follower, I should please go do hilarious once a day. Definitely, him and Virgil were the funniest guys on Twitter, weren't they? For sure. I think what might have happened with this match, Martin, was because, um, again, I was reading the observers. Apparent, apparently, Ted DiBiase was on the start of the tour, but then he injured his back. So he went home. So I think maybe they were probably like because he, him and IRS were the tag champs at the time. So I think they were probably running LOD against IRS and DiBiase. And then when oh. DiBiase went home, they probably had to reshuffle the whole card. Mm. And they just they just threw these two guys together to be squashed by Legion of Doom because they had nobody else, really. I think that's probably what happened more than anything. No, oh, I got to miss that incredible theme tune live. Good. That would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. That the time, yeah. <laughs> that been, yeah. Classic theme tune. One of the greats. Um, well, and then jump to next. Well, yo, we've not even mentioned Sean Mooney yet. Obviously, he's made a bit of a comeback recently. He's doing... Um, does he do a podcast on... Um, is it... One yeah, he got the um, no, he got the the prime time with Sean Mooney podcast. I think he he hosted by so like he started doing um like retro reviews of like Saturday night's main event and like I think he ended, he he brings on some of the like current NWA uh talents on now. So yeah, that that's kind of what he's doing. Yeah, because I knew he'd made some sort of comeback. Yeah, so so it's not really sure if I've managed to check out, but uh, yeah. great nostalgia seeing him on here and obviously. Oh yeah, he. he uh, I was about to mention uh, he he is you right he is doing um he's doing like uh some of the um. An announcing with David Marquez or NWA Power. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause obviously massive nostalgia of seeing him here, and then obviously he's interviewing Sid Justice here, and um, <laughs> I mean, what an interview. <laughs> what a promo. <laughs> it essentially gives us a book review of the Night of the Juggler. <laughs> During his entrance, it's the first time he refers to himself as Psycho for the... He yeah. does, yeah. Yeah, Psycho Sids. Because he always blamed the WWE. He hated it, yeah. Yeah, he always said it was like a, they were ripping on him because he had, you know, because of the alleged problems he had backstage. <laughs> there, we've got it on tape there, Martin, him uh, using it himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that entrance as well, when he's literally... He looks like he's literally just poured a bucket of water over his head as well. He's dripping all over that camera. Dripping on the camera, yeah. He's underrated, Sid. I always liked him as a kid. Like, the I intensity know, and like, yeah, they had a great look. Obviously, once you get older and you realise, you know, what kind of makes a good wrestler and what doesn't, you start to, uh, to notice how how bad Sid was in there at times and how bad <laughs> his strikes looked and just how potty he was. But I don't know. I always loved his intensity oh, and yeah. his master and ruler of well promos. Uh, I've, I've got a real soft spot for, uh, for Sid Justice slash Vicious slash UD slash Psycho Sid, whatever he wants to be called this soft week. Ball, Sid, yeah. <laughs> I think the first time I ever saw somebody do a fist bump was probably Sid Justice. And, and, yeah. and at the time, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And like, I've a, like Benno, I have a massive soft spot for Sid. Now, obviously, it's a different story when the bell rings. But a good Sid Justice promo is as good as anything you'll ever see. Like the pure intensity of the man. And I, the other thing I'd always say about Sid is one of the best looks that a wrestler could ever have like just the size of him and the build of him and everything like you can you can see why Vince kept bringing him back and kept going to him because like if you're talking about a body guy and a guy who looks like that he-man look that that, that Vince McMahon loves like if anybody ever epitomized that it's Sid Justice so yeah won't hear a bad word about Sid um, at least until the bell rings <laughs> anyway 
I'm going to make you jealous here, James. They had a full of a wrestling last year. Sid did one of those in-ring um, kind of chat things. And as he was leaving the ring, leaving the ring, I chanced it, put the fist out, got a Sid fist bump. Yes! I was very happy now, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Never watch that hand again. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Europe. Brilliant stuff. I think Childhood you're dream. At, um, 2003, Andrew. I think you were lucky enough uh, to completely bypass it. Have you had much, much chance of them <laughs> to, uh, to see much Sid stuff? Like, uh, of course, I like I, I see him through like the interviews and like hear him talk about like his you know his career and stuff like that. But uh, not 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 really much of Sid. Like, I, it's this one entrance that I always see like floating around on Twitter. Like, I think it was I think I, I think it was at MSG when he came out. And he was like doing the like who's the man like all oh, that's like that that that, 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 that is like one of the coolest interests and it, it, it's not even much like it was just the, the whole who's the man i don't know why i think that's so cool but you know that's what it was as far as as far as the whole thing goes this is probably like my uh my favorite version of the undertaker character like i don't know why i always like like this specific version of the undertaker like the you know uh, i i don't know why i always found it interesting but i just think this is this is my favorite one this was kind of like uh, uh like a preview for the the main event of wrestlemania 13 a couple years later oh yeah no, i don't even thought about that yeah <laughs> Uh, what a preview it was. How they could have looked at this match and decided, you know what, in 1997, we'll do it as the main event of WrestleMania. I'll never know. <laughs> they didn't even bring Harvey Whippleman back. What a shame. Harvey <laughs> Whippleman, he actually still works for WWE. And that's crazy. He he works as a um as a runner for them. Like if if so, like one of oh, the wow. rest, like yeah, they they leave some like at the airport or like they leave some in a hotel room. They send Harvey to go get it. Like if they um wow. like like if they like they do some like segment where they that they have like a, an enhancement talent uh be like a like a surfer gimmick or something like that. Like they'll send Harvey to go buy a surfboard and stuff like that. He like he he still works for them to this day. And like he still does like that that exact same th- that exact same stuff. That's hilarious because usually when you're uh, starting a job, you start out as a runner, don't you? You don't sort of like dem- <laughs> demoted into one. <laughs> Poor old Harvey. Um, but anyway, I mean, obviously, not much to uh, say about this match. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, it's, it's interesting seeing, you know, Undertaker back then doing, you know, his slow, methodical uh, thing. But interesting with the, uh, obviously, because Sid didn't even make it to SummerSlam, did he? But he, you know, it's Undertaker who gets counted out in this one, Jamesy. It, it was weird, yeah. And Sid had already failed a drug test, I think. But I think they, they they had lost so many big names from the tour. I think they just brought him along anyway. And you you would have thought that that Undertaker, you know, given that he was he's basically on his way out of the company at this stage, Sid, that Undertaker would have just beaten him. But no, they they do really, and it's a really messy count out. Like like even even Gorilla and Brain are kind of not sure if it even was a count out. It's there's a bit of fighting on the floor, and Taker goes into the post. And then all of a sudden the bell rings and it's like, that's the end of it. And then and then I suppose Sid tries to beat him down afterwards, but then Taker kind of makes the save and does the tombstone. And, and that's the end of Sid in WWF, basically. Yeah, but yeah, like, Jesus, this, this was not good wrestling by any means. <laughs> mm. On to something much better. Uh, Sean Mooney's backstage again with uh, Sean Michaels and Sensational Sherry. And um, obviously this is um, Sean coming out to... Uh, the original version of Sexy Boy, which uh, Sherry sung. And, um, yeah, I mean, we were discussing um, off-air. I think this is one of the few times that uh, Shawn Michaels and Macho Man faced off with each other, wasn't it, Benno? 
Yeah, that's it. I think there's a couple of house shows as well, but nothing notable that we could at least find. Um, yeah, I mean, it was. Kind of, I think that a good reason to watch this show if, if people are interested is to get to see you know these two kind of crossing in time. Uh, obviously, Sean's a, a couple of years away from his peak, and maybe Randy in some ways is on the downswing. Although you know he had some good uh, good matches in WCW as well. Uh, it's kind of a weird that time. match against Flair at WrestleMania right, as well. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah, which is a, a real memorable one as well uh but this is definitely you know your, your work rate match of the night um mm-hmm. and it felt to me like because we are in that period of change aren't we like we earlier completely by coincidence uh, uh on tuesday night when we did the the grapple spotlight podcast we reviewed um the donahue wwf uh, drugs and sex scandal episode mm-hmm. when i opened the observer up to, to find out what was going on with this show and get the inside scoop same week that was that also it this oh, week, wow. and that that's the that's the world that was that 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 we were in at this point where yeah you know the net was was very much closing in. Uh, there was all of the, the Hogan steroid stuff, obviously you know Sid's on his way out. People are failing drug tests here and there, and yeah, it, it kind of led to you know your smaller guys taking taking preference, your Bretts and your Shawns, and this felt like yeah this was maybe something of a a sign of the times to come, where you know young Shawn Michaels was only a couple of years later going to end up having to be by by necessity be the top guy. Um, and uh, yeah, you could see it here. Like I, I it's always funny to me because like when he was in the Rockers, I don't think it was obvious that Shawn was as good as he was because mm. he's in a tag team. No. Like as a kid, I always preferred Marty. Like I thought yeah. he was the star of the two. But obviously, I was uh, I was wrong about that one. <laughs> but like you know, he didn't. He seemed very good, but he didn't seem special. But then you go back and you and you watch like these early this early heel run and how quickly he gets into the the mold of the character and how good he is in in just straight up singles matches. And it's like, oh right, I get it now. I get why they uh, they split up my favorite tag team as a kid, and I get why they got so so heavy behind Sean in the uh, in the that follow as well um so yeah he was kind of someone taking maybe advantage uh of the lay of the land um and yet it was definitely a, a changing gear like the you know the, the the term work rate gets gets thrown around a lot but i think we forget like the original kind of meaning behind it is the literal work rate that sean and randy are putting in in this match compared to yeah some of the matches that came before it and uh some that come after it later this night i was just about to say because we aren't quite at super work sean michaels here but he's bumping all out he's bumping like a madman for a, yeah. a savage isn't <laughs> yeah i definitely think that this was my personal favorite match of the show i, I think this match kind of outdid most of the matches but i i primarily think that was because of like the outside presence from miss elizabeth and uh, sensational Sherry, like I, I kind of really miss the days of when managers, whether they be male or female, like they had presence. Like you knew they were going to have some type of like mm. impact on the match. And I'm not saying that some managers don't today, but I feel like they 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 were their own stars. And I feel like now, uh, if you were to be a manager, like I feel like it's kind of like a thing of yeah, you can shine, but you can't outshine the person that you're supposed to be managing. And I feel like sensational Sherry had her own thing, and Miss Olivia was of course her own her own person and I, and I kind of miss those days a lot and um like I I, I kind of wanted to ask you guys this like um you know as as far as Randy Savage goes in the, the WWF world title like how do you how, how do you like just from a you know a, just uh spitball how do you guys think he felt in, in this situation cuz it seemed like the like the the world title wasn't closing closing the show much like it wasn't closing this show I know it didn't headline mania this year and I know it didn't headline uh uh, SummerSlam '92, and I think that was uh that that was Brett versus British Bulldog, right? That was that 
that yeah. that that match. So yeah, I, I was just curious how you guys thought about that, and how how you think Randy Savage felt like not, but of course being world champion and not um, headlining shows because I'm pretty sure that was a big thing uh, during that time period. Yeah, that's an interesting point actually because yeah, like you said, WrestleMania that was uh, they advertised it as co-main event, but it's like you say, it's mm-hmm. all about going on last, isn't it? So yeah, I can't imagine he was happy about. Um, about not headlining shows here, Ben. Yeah, and he was always, it seemed to be the story of his career, didn't it? Like, he was always the 1B. Like, even, you know, you go back to, like, SummerSlam 88 and you go back to, you know, the story with Hogan. You know, Savage is the champion, but Hogan is the focus. Uh, I think he probably, he knew his role, though, didn't he, kind of, in, in a way that, yeah, I'm the guy. He was always the guy you could depend on to have the killer match. And for whatever reason, you know, Hulk being the, the draw, Hulk would always be, Above him, so I'd imagine Savage is probably just like, oh, here we go again. I think, I think maybe sometimes when uh, when Vince McMahon pegs you in a certain place, you stay in that place. Like, you, how many times have we seen it in modern wrestling? You know, Chris Benoit wins the WWE title, and you know, straight away he's in a feud with Kane, and then yeah, he's maybe not headlining as many shows as he should because Vince sees him a certain way. Same thing happened with Daniel Bryan. Same thing happened with Rey Mysterio. I think there's just certain guys where, like, you know, Randy can headline house show. Randy can headline, you know, this and that. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, there's always maybe something a little bit bigger in uh, in Vince's mind to do. Maybe that was something that, uh, yeah, it doesn't, maybe doesn't get talked about enough that maybe uh, played Randy's career that maybe in being Mr. Dependable almost uh, went against him in some ways. Yeah, because obviously he depended on him a bit too much, didn't he, when he was shoving him into commentary and that, and he eventually said, oh, fuck, oh. off to WCW. Yeah, that's it, because he, he literally thought he was too old and wanted to retire him. And, like, I, how old would, would Randy have been in this period? He was still in his 30s, wasn't he? Like, Probably, yeah, yeah. That, that's I like that's good. Oh, totally, yeah. And we saw it in WCW, like I said before, mm. you know, those DDP yeah. matches. Obviously, you know, things come to a bit of a grind and halt when injuries cap- catch up to him. But there was plenty left in the tank. Like, oh, that's insane, actually, when you think about, like, WrestleMania 7 and then deciding to, to, to go that route with him and, and retire him and, and think that he'd be this commentator because he was fucking awful as a commentator. <laughs> like, he was so bad. Like, but for some reason, yeah, that once Vince pegs you in a certain way, thinks you're too old, sees you, you know, you got a balding head, maybe, maybe that's part of it. You just kind of get pushed to the side, don't you? And it's probably no, uh, no surprise that he ended up in WCW. The, the one when I was a kid, like you, you talk, Andrew, about did it affect his credibility, not being the main event, but being the champion? The, the one, the guy who I didn't buy when I was a kid was Flair, actually. And like, I had no, I had no idea who Ric Flair was when he came into WWF. At that point as a kid, I'm pretty sure I didn't even know WCW existed. So I had no idea about what this guy had done elsewhere. So to me, there was this guy coming into WWF and he had Heenan with him. And there was some talk of him having this other world title. And they'd, they'd blur out the belt when he was on TV. So they wouldn't show the NWA title on, on WWF television. But that meant nothing to me. So there was this guy coming. And like to me, he was this old guy. And yeah. I saw I, I saw his bleached hair as grey hair. So I was like, this old guy with grey hair and these robes coming into a company. And like he, he looked, to, you know, I was so used to big guys. Sid Justice, Ultimate Warrior, Hogan. Everybody was big. Undertaker was big. Even Jake the Snake, when you see him standing beside Undertaker, there were all these huge guys. And then there was this Ric Flair guy who, who didn't have much of a, a body. I was totally brainwashed into, into Vince's way of thinking. You know, it's amazing how you get brainwashed into what they want you to think. And I didn't take Flair seriously whatsoever. And it was only when he won that rumble and kind of did the full hour in it 
that the penny dropped at me, okay, that this guy is actually good and worthy and that kind of thing. Like, so it's funny how you have this perception as a kid of things. And, and yeah, as you said, like you'd be looking at the title, never main eventing the big shows we were watching. You know, it wasn't the main event of Mania. It wasn't the main event of SummerSlam. It did kind of bring it down. And like, I would never have seen Savage on the level of Hogan. You know what I mean? As a kid, to me, Hogan was God. You know what I mean? He was the guy, the big guy. And it was only years later, I kind of saw the bad side to him and all that. But yeah, it's amazing how, how like your perception as a child can be so different as to what it would be when you're an adult. Um, James, were you a fan of Shawn Michaels um, as a kid? I hated him. Absolutely oh. It, 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 again, it was the size thing, I think. I, I didn't buy these smaller guys as a kid. Um, I Again, like Benno said, I would have always thought that Marty was, was, was the bigger star of the Rockers. And when he turned on him, it was like, okay, this guy's going to be the star. I used to hate that thing they do. And I was supposed, like, I was getting worked. You know what I mean? I was supposed to hate him. I was supposed to not like him. I used to hate that thing they do, the Elvis thing, where, where they'd announce that Shawn Michaels has left yeah. the building. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was totally, like, I was totally for the faces and against the heels. <laughs> like, so I, I definitely was getting worked. But again, I'd be looking at him and I would see him beside the bigger guys. And there was definitely, in my head I couldn't take the smaller guy seriously in those days you know what I mean the idea that Shawn Michaels would ever actually be the WWF champion to me in 1992 was totally ludicrous I only ever saw it as, as a big man's thing you know and even Macho Man kind of didn't quite fit into that mould either you know it's just crazy looking back at how you perceive things you know you mentioned um, Elizabeth and Sherry there, uh, Andrew, a minute ago, and I've got to tell you, ten-year-old me was grinning from ear to ear seeing those two live. <laughs> Liz's last appearance as well, wasn't it? Was like, yeah. Yeah. They're talking about constantly on commentary about them being married. And surely this was around the same time they were getting divorced. So really, she weird. Was, she was, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I was kind of, I was looking at her when he's doing that interview. Was it with Sean Mooney or with Lord Alfred Hayes when Macho Man's doing the interview later in the show? I'm trying to look to see can I see any tension between them because like they must have been not getting on well at this point and they'd been in Europe for two or three weeks so like Jesus like you know imagine being being away in Europe away from home with, with your wife that you're about to divorce and having to perform every night like things must have been very very tense and I'm looking for moments to see is there any resentment between them or dirty looks and that kind of thing but in fairness to her she was a consummate professional and she, she kept it all very professional and looked supportive and uh, pretended she liked him even if she didn't and uh, next up, we had the Bushwhackers, who um, I don't think I've ever seen the Bushwhackers <laughs> wrestle a match. They just kind of come out and do this goofy stuff, or they'll come into the Rumble and get eliminated immediately, and that's sort of like their sort of shtick, isn't it? I don't think I've ever seen them in like a, a, a tag match or anything. They're just coming and do these sort of like, you know, to make the kids. I mean, they get an incredible ovation, don't they? The, the 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 merchandise was the funniest thing. They had like uh, one of them uh, hat wearing the merchandise, and he had a hat, and and the hat was like chewed off at the top. <laughs> at the top. <laughs> like just just like making a complete fool out of these dudes. But like hindsight, like of course, of course looking back, I'm pretty sure people thought this is like very entertaining. But like hindsight being 2020, I'm like you like made a complete fool out of these two guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that was totally their thing, wasn't it? I mean, um, you couldn't pull this off in sort of like modern-day wrestling, could you, Bennett? Oh, I know. I mean, the, the whole putting the, the hands above the head, the bushwhacker walk, like, that was, like, me and my mates again. We'd be doing that in school. <laughs> I'd have the... We all you know, the, the figures where they... Where they literally, that was the, the, the one manoeuvre that they did. They could put the hand over the head. That was all you wanted, though, wasn't it? You wanted them to do their entrance. You didn't really want to see them do a match. 
you probably didn't even want to see them cut like a promo like they did here, where apparently everything was bloody lovely. I think that was their, was that their catchphrase. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember them cutting promos. Uh, but yeah, not a gimmick. England, anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah, not a gimmick that translates to the modern world. Like one of my, one of my, one of mine and Joe's uh, mutual friends. I remember him saying to me when uh, I think it was Luke was the younger one, wasn't he? Or maybe it was. I think it was Butch actually. It was like. He'd do a lot of signings along with like ROH shows in the mid two thousands because he was friendly with um Kerry Silken, the promoter. Wow. And one of my one of my apparently was at a live show and you know, fans you can imagine what you know fans like me and James who were like in the mid two thousands, hardcore uh work rate fans. Apparently nobody was going up to him to get a picture. So literally Kerry Silken, Kerry Silken handed the crisp twenty dollar note to my mate and was like, Go get a picture with Butch, will you? Just like cheer him up a bit and give him some attention. Aww. What disrespect for a for a wrestling legend that was, yeah. So yeah, I can personally attest to maybe that uh, that gimmick uh, not flying uh, only what 10, 10, 15 years later. <laughs> and and big, big ups to Sean Mooney too, because I, I'm pretty sure like when when they told him that the, the bushwhacker was gonna lick his face, I don't know how he went through with that, but he did it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look at all the kids in the front row as well. You can't. <laughs> it, it looks worse considering what we're going through at the moment. You're thinking, God, licking people's faces. Oh, like the, know, the last yeah. thing that would ever be happening at the moment. But the, the hilarious thing is the Bushwhackers have a five-star match for Meltzer. You know that? Really? Dude, yeah, I'm, yeah. James, this is when you reveal Kane as being from Europe. I'm trying to think, is it the sheep, herder, the sheep herders they were against? I think it's against the Fantastics. I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure back in the 80s, they had this wild brawl against the Fantastics and Meltzer gave it five stars. Which is just crazy when you when you think of, when you look at them there. Like I, I, the funny thing about this period is so many of these guys on these shows are doing these cartoonish gimmicks and they're they're barely doing anything in their matches. But so many of them have, have a past where they worked in the territories and were actually renowned as really good workers. And it was like this this early nineties WWF was it was like their retirement fund almost. They'd come, they'd phone it like all the bushwhackers did was a bit of shtick and they're probably getting well paid for it. You know what I mean? But it's it's just gas how you don't know the past that a lot of these guys had, like we, we'll see Rick Martel later, like and like how good he was on the territories. Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing doing comedy here, like but like one of you know a really well renowned worker back in the eighties. You know it's crazy. I'm definitely searching out this uh, five star match after we finish recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's one for match of the month, month James. That's got to be done. <laughs> the Bushwhackers. <laughs> wasn't one of them in? Wasn't one of them in ROH for a while, Benno? Yeah, they that's actually, what I mean. Yeah, that's when that happened with my mates. But, the, like they, uh, but they were the actually hotel. doing matches like, which to me was the end of ROH, when one of the feckin' bushwhackers <laughs> started getting booked in my beloved work rate promotion. Like, and this is what, 2007, 2008? That's when I knew I was out. I was like, ah, here, it's, it's all completely falling apart now. Like, yeah. <laughs> and next up backstage, you've got Lord Alfred A. You mentioned him. I always feel like he's a sort of like a blank. I draw a blank on him because obviously, you know, he's British and, you know, I feel like I, know, I should know more about him. And um, he was, um, I think he did a lot of American promotions in sort of like the 70s. And then I think he came into WF as like an agent. And then obviously he started doing, um, being a backstage interview and that. But I always draw a big blank on him. And he's someone that I feel like I should know a lot of because he was all over these uh, tapes as, as kids, weren't you, Benno? 
Oh yeah, I like he. I think as a kid, I always wondered whether it was just a gimmick. Was he really British? Like, was he this <laughs> British wrestler? Like, I, I just didn't know. Like, I, I wasn't any smarter to it. I always remember like the, when the Simpsons did like their boxing episodes. The commentator on that was always a knockoff of him as well. That same kind of uh, English. Uh, I don't know if draws the right yeah. word, but English accent. He'd always play on that. So I think he was a pretty, you know, renowned figure, uh, you know, in public. But yeah, it was it was odd though. Yeah, the, the kind of being. The connection, I suppose, we had as uh, as as British kids that yeah, the bulldog was in there, and yeah, we had this this random commentator slash interviewer backstage. Yeah, because he's got the accent that um, all Americans expect us to have. Does have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because the the Mountie he retired, I think, two years ago, like officially retired two years ago. He was still going hard, and then I think he uh. I think he's like 60 now, but he retired when he was 58. He had a okay. his his turn match was at the um the, the the IGA Stadium, yeah, and he yeah that was his last match, I believe. Unless he's still going and like I mean post I mean pre coronavirus, but I th- yeah he he officially retired in uh 2018. Oh wow, I had no idea of that. What so is he wrestling in Canada and stuff or around the the US? Yeah, I, I think it was a local promotion that, you know, him and his family had that, that, that and that's where he did the match at. And I think it was like a, um like he had some of his his family members in the match. It was like that that type of thing, like a fun match. It went, I don't think it was anything like, you know, super serious, but it was just something that, you know, formally, you know, step away from the in-ring part of pro wrestling. Yeah, because obviously yeah, they're, they're running the Quebecers and stuff as well after this, didn't you, Benno? Oh yeah, uh, that's it. And you know, links to PCOs. Speaking of people still wrestling now, PCOs still going. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. he's from this era as well. Uh, I was like the Mountie. I always had the, always had the soft spot for him. I like the gimmick. I like the 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 whole thing with the boss man when he gets uh, gets yeah, thrown in jail. That it's that that entire like just sequence is one of the funniest. Like even even as a kid, it was like okay, this is hilarious. This is high. This is high art. This is this is high comedy. Uh, I always like yeah because of that. I've always kind of liked him, even if yeah maybe he didn't have the uh, the best reputation in wrestling. Oh yeah, but I, I just actually yeah I just came across that he did retire in 2018. His last match, he teamed with his three sons. That was his last match. Huh. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm. Oh, amazing! Crazy. Uh, he was definitely the uh, the worker in this match, though, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> Virgil just—it was never happening, was it? He was just that that underdog kind of baby face, and yeah, he he seemed to be on. I, I felt like in this period, every tape I had, he'd be in there getting squashed, whether it was against Yokozuna or the Mountie. He was always the guy who like. No, it's a, it's basically a house show. This it's basically a send the, the fans home happy kind of show. He's the babyface who can lose like that. That <laughs> unfortunately for Virgil, that was kind of his role, and it was uh, it was his role here as well. Yeah, she talked about squash matches, and that one with Yoko Zuna is like the ultimate mm-hmm. squash match. He <laughs> squashes him at the end of that match, <laughs> and he was he was the first guy they fed to nails as well. Remember when nails debuted later in the summer, and he destroyed oh, yeah. Bossman, and Bossman's gone for a while. And at, at, I think at, at that SummerSlam or at that SummerSlam at Wembley, it's Virgil against Nails. And again, it's it, I think it's about a minute long of a match. He just gets completely destroyed by Nails. And that's that's that, that's that's Virgil for you, basically. That's his job. I think another thing around this time um, was obviously Bret Hart losing the belt to the Mountie, wasn't it, earlier in the year? And I remember it was all, all us kids reading in WF magazine that um, when he'd, he'd stunned Bret with the cattle prod and Bret like, swallowed his tongue. And we all completely bought that. I was like, oh my God, Bret swallowed his own tongue. It's like, yes, Martin. 
<laughs> and you look at the cattle prod now and how cartoonish it is like and him, him shaking it himself you're like how did we ever get fooled by that like yeah <laughs> um, but obviously speaking of Brett Hart he was up against uh, Rick Martell later and um, af- sorry after this match and obviously Brett just won the Intercontinental belt at WrestleMania 8 off Roddy Piper and um, but the work was fairly solid in this match it's quite a slow match um when obviously brett's this is when he starts really getting over in europe mm-hmm. but um yeah i thought the work was pretty solid in this one uh andrew yeah man like the, the one thing that i noticed immediately right off the bat looking at this show like you, you could just tell Bret Hart was a superstar like you you could like so it, it, it's it's some people man like they just so some wrestlers that you see and you just know like right off the bat, like even if you never seen it before, you can just tell some about them that a lot of people are going to end up liking them or already do. And like just from looking, like when I was watching the show and I saw Bret Hart make his injuries, I'm like, ah. I was like, yeah, he was the guy. He was, the, he was definitely yeah, the definitely. guy. So yeah, so, so that, that was just cool to see. And then you know, like you say, I kind of agree with you about the match. It, it wasn't like anything like make you jump out of your seat, but like more so just a, a, a like a retrospect kind of look, uh, 2020 thing kind of at Bret Hart. Like just say how like much of a star he was, and you know, kind of still is to this day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was between him and uh, Bulldog who got the biggest reaction on this show. I think Jamesy. Yeah, and this was actually my favorite match. Um, I really enjoyed it. I have to say, um, mainly because there's actually a story to it. Like like Brett goes after the leg and works the leg, and Martel sells it fairly well. I thought the finish was weird. Like 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 after Brett having done all that work on the leg. You would imagine the logical thing would be to put on the sharpshooter and that'd be it. But instead, he, he wins by roll-up. And I thought it was really weird. Like, I, I didn't think at this point Bret Hart had any real need to kind of snatch a win over Martel. I think if if he had beaten him with the sharpshooter, nobody would have batted an eyelid. Um, but yeah, just really good, solid match. I'd like to talk about Martel. Like, I think he's a great example of if you only watched this era of wrestling you would dismiss a lot of these guys. But I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of Rick Martel's work in the 80s. Like, he, honest to God, is one of the best baby faces I've ever seen when he was in the AWA. Like, the absolute fire that that man had when he was making a comeback, like, is as good a baby face fire as I've ever seen any wrestler show. Like, he's really, really good. Um, I, I remember at one point, it was 2016, and that Greatest Wrestler Ever poll was going on, and I was doing some research on Stan Hansen kind of thinking I'd have him high up on my list. And I remember stumbling upon some Stan Hansen against um, Rick Martel matches from the AWA. And like some of the best brawls you'll ever see, that they have a match in a baseball stadium. Um, I think it's in Boston. I think it's at Comiskey Park, I think. Or so. I could have the name wrong now, but they brawl all over this baseball stadium. And it's genu- genuinely one of the best and wildest brawls I've ever seen. And the fire that Rick Martel shows in that match is unbelievable so i would kind of encourage people like don't judge a lot of these wrestlers by what they were in 19 in early 90s wwf you know like as i said they were wrestling to the level that they were expected to wrestle nobody was expecting people to go out and have great matches at this point or or it rarely happened if ever um but like don't dismiss a rick martell or a jim duggan based on these matches they were genuinely great wrestlers back in the territorial days as well yeah interesting one i've not i have heard uh, similar takes on that before, but I've never had a chance to go back and watch any of Martel's uh, stuff from those time periods, so definitely something I need to go out of my way to do. But uh, Benno, any thoughts on this match, Brett Hart and Rick Martel? Yeah, it was it was a fun match. I mean, Martel's, you know, 
So the selling in the match maybe didn't uh, approach Kabashi levels, but it was there. I can see why Jamesy liked it. There was, there was some, there was some Jamesy psychology in here, even if it didn't maybe uh, entirely add up to, to a huge amount. Um, yeah, if you're gonna go on like one and two best matches on the show, it was like this behind for me, this behind uh, Shawn Michaels and Randy Savage, just because again it was another match with you know where the the uh, quote unquote work rate was up to a different level than you know than everything else on the show. Uh, and people, yeah, they just wanted to see Bret Hart and he, he came across like the biggest hero coming out. He was at this point in time and for a couple of years later, I don't know what it was about Europe, but Bret Hart was always the coolest guy in the room, wasn't he? He always had like a, a connection, I think, to us out here that maybe he didn't he had in America, but not as strong. He had a real, real bond, I felt, with like the with the European uh, fans. And yeah, mm-hmm. I thought he was cool as shit in this period i'm happy to admit that when it got to SummerSlam 92 i was the one person in the uh living room of my mate where there was like 10 of us and everyone was cheering for bulldog just because he was british and i always preferred bret hart i was a bret hart guy through and through right to that moment uh, so i stuck with him uh, and, he, and you can tell why watching this he was there was a, there was a real cool factor with bret hart in this period I was cheering for Brett as well because Bulldog was British, just to have that on <laughs> Fair enough. Well, speaking of patriotism, the next match, Chuck saw just looking at the repo man. And I was like, I'm sure I was probably doing it along, but I was like, I, at the end of this match, and I mean, the match was nothing, is it really? But it, everyone in the crowd chanting USA, I was like, what? I was mortified seeing his two kids like chanting USA at the top of their lungs. I interviewed him um, when we went to For Love of Wrestling, and I asked him about that. I was like, Did, was it ever weird, like, being an American, coming to Europe and getting the USA chance? And I kind of just got the stock answer where he was like, you know, the, it's great that the fans are, you know, coming to support, <laughs> and that, you know, they, they support me, and that, you know, the the American flag kind of, you know, it it flies it flies everywhere, and, you know, it just shows the uh, the reach of, of WWF and the character. And he was a lovely bloke, like, one of the nicest fellas yeah. I've ever spoken to. Uh, but, like, my main memory of it is, like, I watched... I, the first show I went to, I never got to like a, any sh- like WWF show in the nineties. Was the uh, the famed WCW house show in two thousand in Manchester that was a a complete shit show. Uh, and Jim Duggan was on that show against Finley, who's from Belfast, and people were still chanting USA. Mm. And I was old enough then to know why it was wrong. <laughs> so, but like, yeah, I think I think we all just wanted to do what the Americans were doing on the telly. I think that's all it was. Yeah. And uh, you know, like the the I think this was the, like this match was probably one of the top Heenan calls right here because um I remember when Repo Man was choking him, uh Heenan was like he's choking the hoe right at him. I don't know why that well, I, I, I I don't know why that was so funny, but it, 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 that was hilarious. And you know, of course, big big ups to uh Hacksaw Jeff Duncan. I, yeah, he had heart surgery last year and he made it through. So you know, uh, yeah, much respect to him. And uh, Re- Repo Man, that was uh that that was that's buried buried also from the from demolition that's who that is right yeah like ultimately yeah so he he they actually had for the dark side of the ring um it was a round table for like an hour it was him scott norton road warrior animal and paul ellering they had to did like a big round table and they they didn't show any of that from the dark side of the ring episode so you know i'm 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 hoping to you know see that one day they said they spent like an hour hour 30 talking about hulk and uh, just sharing all the stories that they had and you know hopefully that gets put out one day Oh, right, kind of like a bonus sort of episode sort of thing. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it was weird for me as a kid because, um, I mean, 
I mean, we have repo men in the UK, but they're not called repo men. So I was really confused. And I remember my mum explaining what it was. And I was like, well, so this guy comes to your house and takes your stuff and you let him. And she's like, well, you don't let him. But if you owe someone money. And I was just like really confused about it. So, yeah. But I suppose we have um, a UK equivalent now. And they have the TV show, uh, Can't Pay or We'll Take It Away. So it's a UK equivalent of repo man, isn't it? <laughs> I knew there was a reason we were both big fans of that man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, it's up to the main event. But I mean, we've got to talk about this uh, bulldog. I mean, but I mean, bulldog's not known for his promos, is he? But he does a really dreadful one against IRS here. I thought with Lord. <laughs> right here on what did we say? Right here on Sky. Uh, they said the network. He specific, specifically mentioned the network. I don't know why I found that so funny, but that was hilarious. Like he made sure. To, to make sure everybody know what, what, what channel this was going to be on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, not known for his promos, Aussie Bulldog. And obviously, IRS um, opens up with uh, talking, saying Sheffield is the tax cheating capital of Europe. Obviously, I booed that at the time, but I imagine there uh, are a number of tax cheats probably living in Sheffield, I think. Back to- <laughs> Brilliant. But, um, oh, I, I mean, IRS is obviously instant heat for anybody. God knows why. I mean, that's all. It was a weird character thinking back to it, you know, because it was kind of like, you know, he's, it was just one of these job characters they had around around the early 90s. But, um, I mean, any anybody got any thoughts on IRS in this match before we get into Bulldog? Micro no. Thunder is one of the worst wrestlers of all time. <laughs> wow. He's never good. He's fucking terrible. And like, he has a re, uh, for somebody who has a reasonable reputation with some people as being good, like, mm. I've never seen a wrestler do more rest holds and stalling and just do nothing in matches. I, and like, I, I've seen stuff from him from the 80s. I've seen him all the way up. Like, he's still on these nitros in 1995. He's still shite then. Just, oh, awful. <laughs> awful. One of, one of, I, I, I hate Mike Rotunda so much. I really do. He's just terrible. One of the worst members of the NWO as well. And when you when you think about who's been in the NWO, <laughs> like that's, oh that's, that's and like the, the positions he was put in, like over the years, like he was in the varsity club yeah. where, where you were supposed to be a good athletic, a good you know, a proper mat wrestler and everything like that. Oh, absolute choice. Hate him. And uh, like WWE, they they kind of did Mike Rotunda dirty uh, earlier this year. He was uh he was on there the bump show on, on the day that they had the match releases and furloughs, and then he ended up being on that list. Like and they had him doing the, the the promotional work early in the day before he got the uh, furloughed. I was like, that's so messed up, man. Yeah, wow. exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, can you just do this quick interview? Oh, by the way, one more thing. Yeah, you fired. See you later. Jesus. And he's IRS. You can't fire IRS, like for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it was on tax day, wasn't it? I think that was the, I think that was the joke. <laughs> that was the joke. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's just he's just there to be a body for for baby. So it's a running power slam and send everyone home happy, isn't it? That's all it is. It could be any heel. It just happens to be him. It never. It was a weird gimmick, wasn't it? Like just like. Because this is a very kid-friendly promotion as well. Like, the kids hate tax. The kids hate tax. <laughs> That's what I meant about it being weird. Why were we all booing him? Because we had no yeah. concept of what tax was at What's the a time. Tax? What's a tax cheat, you know? It's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a very... Vince Vince probably had, like, a run-in with some tax man at one point, oh, didn't yeah. he? Maybe. Like that's, that's de- I don't know that for certain, but I bet you there's a shoot interview somewhere that says that's the case. <laughs> 
It's like you say, though, Ben, it could have been anybody in there, and the match could have gone on for half an hour, but everyone was continually chanting Bulldog, and all they wanted was, uh, you know, that running power slam, and, you know, send all the fans home happy, and they pretty much achieved his goal, didn't they, really? Yeah, but that's what it was, wasn't it? You, to, you haven't got Hogan on the tour. Like, David Way's got to be in the main event, hasn't he? What was it Do you he think it was in the US or... around this time? He wasn't like sort of like he was coming over here, main event in shows and stuff, but he wasn't like that prominent on the uh, on the US shows, really, was it? He was kind of uh, he was around that IC title level all the time, wasn't he? Like, like at what point did the did the tag team break up the British Bulldogs? That would have been kind of late eighties, wasn't it? And then yeah, he kind of just early 90s. Yeah, yeah. flows it around. And then I, I presume they put him in the main event here on the, on this tour kind of as a bit of a test run for the SummerSlam show as well. Like, you know, and I, I would imagine the reception he got here kind of cemented their planning to say, right, let, let, let's do the intercontinental title as the main event of SummerSlam based on how over Davy by was on this tour, you know? Mm-hmm. I just thought that was weird as a kid, you know, I mentioned about watching these shows out of order. Like I saw him as the British Bulldog first. And then I saw taped where there were suddenly two British Bulldogs and it kind of blew my mind. Right. <laughs> kid even, even existed. Uh, it's kind of impressive, to be honest, that the, you know, look at Marty Gennetti. He took the Rockers gimmick and basically Sean became this new character and Marty Gennetti was just like the Rockers, the guy. And that kind of happened with Davey Boy, didn't it? Like he just took the gimmick on and was a singles wrestler and, you know, he had a, he had a reasonable amount of success with it, didn't he? He was a big star over here. He had a decent place on the car pretty much his entire WF run, even when he, he came back for that weird uh, in jeans run in the uh, God, in the two thousand through a bin at Stephanie McMahon's head. Uh, that's a show we should uh, we should definitely do at some point. Uh, I would say yeah, despite his limitations, Davey had a very decent run uh, in wrestling in general. Maybe apart from the uh, the little dip that he had in uh, in WCW. Yeah, but it, for me and my mates, it was all about Davey, but everyone wanted, you know, when you're uh, sort of like picking who's going to be you when you're having wrestling matches in the playground, everyone <laughs> wanted to be Davey, but yeah, uh, certainly uh, tons of love for him back in the day. But um, I suppose it's um, interesting looking back, fun nostalgia, uh, especially for me, uh, revisiting this show. And uh, yeah, just a fun look back at sort of WWF in, in 92 and an interesting transition period. Cause obviously Davey was only um, after SummerSlam 92, it was gone, wasn't he? Um, did he fail uh, a drug test or something? Yeah, he's another one again. It, it, like this was the height of, of, of that stuff. Um, and this was around the time there were all those rumors where like, like you got, you got to remember like a, as big wrestling was back then, like stories about Davey Boy Smith would be the front page just on newspapers. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the, the rumor was that he was going to join the gladiators as a member of the cast around this period. And no, in, I instead, don't remember that one now. Yeah, I think that was, that was a big rumor that he was going to be like, well, you, you know, they do they had like Warrior, didn't they, and Wolf, and there was going to be Bulldog. Uh, this is the uh, for Andrew the British version of uh, American Gladiators. Uh, <laughs> I think that was that was I mean, when he left. I think maybe maybe the tabloids just picked it up as a bit of a, a tease, but like that was massive news. And in general, he was massive news. He was a genuine like top level celebrity uh, over here. Can you imagine him doing the trials on Gladiators where they had to chase people and be blown up after about 10 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, any final thoughts on this show? Yeah, I'd, I'd say just a, like you said, transition period, weird one, because I think, I think by the time, because this, as, as James said at the top, this was a really successful tour for the WBF. But problems were mounting back home. Like I say, the mm. the sex scandal stuff, right. um, the steroid trial, 
and just generally a bit of a dip in popularity in America. Whereas at this point, they still knew they could come to Europe and make loads of money. It was almost like we were on a, a bit of a delay, I think. And, you know, the likes of uh, Skinner and that was still good enough for us as big stars. And, you know, we were all still coming out for, for shows based on, you know, a, a Hulkamania boom period that for all intents and purposes that I kind of ended uh, a couple of years before this. So I think we're kind of seeing the last of uh, the quote unquote good stuff here. Andrew, were you happy to uh, check out some uh, 92 WWF <laughs> to revisit? Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed talking about it with you guys when I enjoyed the show. <laughs> but, but I, I enjoyed well, the in-ring portion of it for the most part. But I, I, I did like the uh, Randy Savage versus Shawn Michaels match and, yeah. and uh, you know, the, the Bret Hart match versus Rick Martell was entertaining and, you know, seeing, you know, just the the, the star that, that was Bret Hart. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how, like, some of these, you know, careers ended, ended up turning out, you know, some, of course, were, you know, um, fatal, but, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's always cool looking back at this stuff and seeing how everything uh, ultimately panned out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's the main takeaway from the show, isn't it, James? Like a transition period for WWF. Absolutely, yeah. Like I, I would imagine if you fast forward even six months, the amount of people who were gone from the company at that point. You know, mm-hmm. by 1993, the top of that card is vastly, vastly different. You know, like Yokozuna comes along, Luger comes back, Brett is kind of hovering around the top of the card. Like um, it's, you know, all those big names are gone. Really only Undertaker is the only one who kind of stays around and kind of lasts the course, you know. Mm. Um, what I would advise people to do is if you are looking to get a really good sense of the time is watch some of the Superstars episodes that are on the network, the 1992 Superstars, because you get all the fun angles that we described earlier, the, 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 the nails attack on, on Boss Man and the Papa Shango Warrior stuff, the barber shop, all the classic stuff. I think that's the real magic of this era, like watching the matches as, as we've described here, you don't get an awful lot from it. It's everything that goes around the matches. It's the reason the matches happen. It's the storyline. It's the big characters, the promos. So some of those Superstars episodes are, are where the real magic of 1992 lies, I think. Yep. And uh, just before we get out of here, um, Andrew, uh, obviously mentioned at the top of the show, you're all over post uh, this week. Uh, what other shows can people check you out on? Um, you can check me out. I'm going to be on uh, around the SmackDown tomorrow. Um with, with, with waiting and um yeah i'm uh doing the news update tomorrow and check out some interviews on the site and you know you can follow me on twitter ad thompson underscore underscore yeah and i've got to say great news roundups as well i managed to put those out it's such a wealth of each information yeah. they're always fantastic work i'm always like blown away by how much work goes into them so obviously yeah definitely check them out and um, benno and jamesy uh, jamesy you had a new show on grapple recently Yep, February match of the month came out there. I had the great pleasure of having my, my fellow Irish man, my fellow Waterford man, JP Houlihan, on with me. And I think we we did a good job kind of summing up all the great matches from February. Um it's it's starting like it's it's music to my ears to hear GCW running now at the weekend. Music to my ears to hear New Japan starting to run shows again. I can finally sink my teeth into current wrestling again and actually get this podcast up and running and talking about current wrestling, you know. So the plan is to do a March episode at the end of this month. I'll probably do another episode then to cover the, the, the kind of pandemic era of empty arena wrestling. And then we'll be able to get back on top of month to month coverage of wrestling once it gets back to normal then from then on. So, yeah. Right now, definitely, yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, grapple.podbean.com where you can you can hear the fantastic show that James has launched, and also yeah, my usual spotlight stuff is over there. We uh, we talked uh, NXT in your house this week, and a bit of actually 1982 WF as I mentioned with the uh, with the Donahue special, so you can check that out, and also follow me on Twitter uh, at Benson Richardy, and follow me on Twitch Twitch.tv/slash Benson Richardy as well, where I'm uh, continuing to do some uh, TW streams where I uh, book AW into the ground. So that sounds like something you're into. <laughs> <laughs> and um, of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. Got to shout out the king of Tokyo, WH Park, who launched his new show this week, The Long and Winding Road, a cracking show all about new uh, about all Japan wrestling. And a uh, great first episode on the origin of the Triple Crown. So definitely check that out. And before we get out of here, of course, big happy birthday to Benno next week. Is he how old? How old hey. is he now, Benno? Uh-oh. Oh man! Hey, listen, I'm still the closest to Andrew's age out of the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically the same generation, you know. We relate to each other. Well, you know, you old guys wouldn't understand. Uh, Thirty six next Friday, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm past the halfway point on the way to forty. But you know, like I said, New Japan's coming back. Uh, the Premier League's coming back. There's plenty of reasons to be uh, to be happy as well. So I'm looking forward to uh, celebrating my birthday with that and a bit of uh, GCW on the Saturday night as well. And then, of course, forum.postwrestling.com. Leave us feedback, and we'll be back in a fortnight. And uh, I imagine we'll be talking something to do with British wrestling. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you later.